Welcome to the Jim Cornette Experience. What a week it has been. MJF, the victim of bullying and attempted decapitation on AEW television. Logan Paul has mauled the Mysterios. Nikita Lyons has the most dangerous ass in wrestling. But all that pales in comparison, ladies and gentlemen, to the near-death experience just suffered by my co-host, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, the man back from the brink of death, the great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. And I am, in fact, here once again. And it sounds like you think a lot of things really went wrong today. Well, well, no, I've, I've, been, I've been waiting because, you know, all the time we start out with these, these big stories. I've got the, the Mustang lands on my fence. I've had to run somebody off the property. Yelling has been going on. Some chaos or catastrophe right at the worst timing. And, and, but this time, Brian, you have the story because I got your message earlier. Snowstorm, power outage, problems, got to delay recording. This has got to be a major story. You're up there in the inclement weather in the Northeast, shivering with your family. Go ahead, lay it on us. I'm all ears. All right. Well, we didn't actually have a snowstorm. It was actually an ice storm. Freezing even, rain. Even worse. Really worse because the driveway is ice. The cars are ice. School's canceled. Everyone's home. And we have family in town. So I'm oh. showing some family around the house, the new last manor, the beautiful estate here. But all of a sudden, the lights go out. And we've had this ice storm, and there's branches you can hear in the distance out in the forest just falling down. So I know there's stuff going on. And, you know, I came downstairs, tried to figure out what to do. How do you address the situation? New house, new power company. Got in touch with them, make sure I got some updates. And we waited around for a while here in the middle of a freezing cold day with freezing ice, freezing rain, and no heat because we had no power. No generator yet either in this house. And and uh, did they at least meet the estimates that they gave you? Did they give you any information? Well, they gave us some like vague information. They said that there was, I think it was like a group of technicians. I forget the way they put it. Like technicians are aware of the situation. And then we got another one that they've been dispatched, that they're going to be on the way. And they gave us an estimate that everything will be back by noon. Noon of what? What? Uh- how long was the power actually off? Was it overnight? Was it a day, no, no, day well, and a half? From the time we lost power until, well, they, they said noon, but it, well, let me back up a little bit here, Jim. The power went off a little bit after 10, and then we got in touch with the power company, and they gave us an optimistic thought. They said it'll be back on by noon, but it was actually on before then. It was actually back on a little bit after 11. So what, 10 p.m. the, the night before last night? No, 10 a.m. this morning. It was out for about an hour, hour and a half this morning. An hour and a half? Which prevented me from really being able to go out and get coffee because I'm here. 
I've got family. I've got the kids. I've got the Swami. Wait, 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 I've got on, Suzanne. No, 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 no. Back up just one second. Wait a minute. An hour and a half, and that was pro- that was the problem. You couldn't go and get coffee. What prevented? Was your car running? Did you have no gas? How did the electricity of affect your car's performance to go out and get your coffee? Well, first of all, I will say, fortunately, by the time I went outside, the Weather had heated up enough, even though it was still cold, that everything was just kind of melting off everything. So it made it a pretty easy. But I just didn't want to leave my family alone in the cold. I mean, what kind of man? What kind for of a, man? For an hour and a half? For an hour and a half. What they have they to stay warm. Chat? I have to be here to provide for my family and take care of these people. Oh, for God's sake. You... Are they in a fucking lean-to out in the frozen tundra of the Alberta Plains? With Stu Hart's family at the turn of the 20th century, they can't goddamn make it an hour in this fucking palatial glacial estate you've got up there so you can go out and get caught and it's and the shit's melting anyway. And I don't even know if Suzanne knows how to start any of the fireplaces. Oh, for start any of the fire rub two fucking sticks together. There's your first clue. What about a, a match, a lighter? Gasoline? Well, t- to be honest, I probably don't want her messing with fire here in uh I don't play house. with fire. Yeah. No way. So you're, what's the rest of it? Is there any conflict? Any, there was no person-to-person interaction you had with somebody? Nobody was run off the property at the point of a snow shovel? You weren't near death bobbing near the bank of the river sticks like I'd imagined? I thought you were up there in some frozen freezing blizzard trying to hook swami up to the dangum sled so that you could say mush to get it down the mountain into town to provide food for your starving children that were turning blue and their teeth were falling out from chattering and poor swami swami keeps letting us know he wants to go outside we take him outside we think he's gonna pee he's gonna poop he doesn't do anything he comes right back into the house so that's a problem that's one of the problems i would say (laughs) uh Stick the wrestling with John McAdam went up about 45 minutes late due to the power outage this morning. That's a problem. Oh, my God. But there's also good news. Behind every dark cloud, there is a silver lining. Right before we started recording today, I got my coffee because we had power. So everything worked out. I got to sit in my office in the dark, read a book for about uh, 30 minutes, made a few phone calls. But I had like a 30-minute break. It was really nice. But it was just, it was horrible. The whole family was petrified. The, the, the ordeal that y'all went through this morning for an hour and a half. Give or Do take. You know, when I was a child one time, I'll have you know, the power went off here at the castle for around five days in the, in the wintertime in the middle of a big snowstorm. And my mother, the, the, uh, not, not ambitious, but the, the resourceful woman, well, she was both ambitious, but also resourceful woman that she was. We had plenty of firewood right out the back door. She had the cast iron skillet and cooked us fried eggs and all types of manner of foodstuffs on the fire, pla- fire in the fireplace downstairs. We huddled up with blankets, toughed it out. Back then, the, the electric company didn't even know where we were out here. I was over here killing squirrels so my family would have food. You didn't kill any squirrels. You couldn't catch a squirrel, and you're you're too lazy to try. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. You'd hire somebody <laughs> to run that squirrel down. It's what you'd do, and then demand that that person that you hired give you some 
outrageous percentage of said squirrel on the open market? Well, no, I hired the person. I get 100% of said squirrel. That person was doing labor for hire. It's my squirrel. All right, well, see, there you go. That's, that was a squirrel for hire. That's the, way how they, that's the way they, you know, I'm just a small town bird lawyer. <laughs> but that's, that's what we call them in, in my profession is a squirrel for hire. And that's pretty, you could ask Stephen P. New. You're not going to get out of that motherfucker once you've got the squirrel for hire. Um, I know you haven't had a lot of power, but have you been watching Showtime lately? Not as much as I would like, because they have good documentaries on there. I was about to bring this one up, and I don't know whether you've seen this or not. It's on demand now. I don't know when it aired. I was just uh, became aware of it when I was flipping through the guide there. There's a documentary on Showtime on Sonny Liston. Have you seen it? I have not, and I would love to see it because I'm a big... um I don't want to say I'm a big Sonny Listed fan, but <laughs> he's such an intriguing character. And actually, uh, one of my favorite authors ever, Nick Toshis, uh, and some people pronounce his last name differently, I understand. But he wrote a great book called The Devil and Sonny Liston, which was after he wrote an amazing article in Vanity Fair, just all about, you know, Sonny Liston and just all the dark clouds around this guy and all the mysteries and all the dark characters. And what an amazing story. I, I can't wait to see this. I'm going to check it out after we record, actually. The title is, well, you might not have power by then. The The title <laughs> is The Lives and Deaths of Sonny Liston. And it's uh, it's very well done. But it, for the wrestling fans in the audience, I'm, I'm all the kids, they still know who Sonny Liston was, right? I Sir, don't know. I think if someone knows enough about Muhammad Ali's history, they may, but I don't know how many people... How many people today know modern heavyweights in boxing? Oh God! Well, but they had faces then, though Brian. They had faces then, and and, and heels as well, and, and heels. heels yes. <laughs> and Sonny Liston is the guy who he's in all the documentaries of Muhammad Ali because he got beat for the title by Ali, and then got beat in the rematch. And both of them were somewhat suspicious slash mysterious circumstances. The second one in Lewiston, Maine, which was a last-minute replacement for Boston, Massachusetts, when apparently, according to this Liston documentary, uh, the political forces, in, including, I think they said the Kennedys, uh, didn't want the fight in Boston because of Liston's ties with the mob, which were not... It, it, this wasn't like alleged ties. I mean, he'd already been in prison, and they, you know, it was... a. It was a well-known, a well-known secret. <laughs> Who's that said that one time on a wrestling show? It's a well-known secret that Liston was tied up with the mob and had been an enforcer before he was a world champion. So anyway, everybody thinks the phantom punch in Lewiston, Maine, or the anchor punch, as Ali called it, which he said he learned from watching old videos of Jack Johnson and from some other, you know, long forgotten heavyweight boxers that he'd talked to. Some guy in the Liston documentary says, I showed him that. <laughs> but the they're also um basically calling into question the finish of their original fight, which all the Ali documentaries just kind of gloss over that Ali beat Liston, beat Liston, beat Liston in the first fight, you know, pretty resoundly uh, after he came back from the liniment in the eyes 
angle that they supposedly did. That was alleged, never proven. That when Ali was looking good early in the fight, that suddenly there was either liniment on Liston's gloves or they even mentioned Monsell's powder. Dr. Bernard Schwartz may have been in attendance. Same thing they threw in Blassie's eyes. Uh, but something was introduced into Ali's eyes in like the fifth round that he had to back away and dance and dodge and was about ready to quit. He was saying, cut the gloves off and his corner wouldn't let him. And when he came out the next round and cleared his eyes and started peppering Liston at the end of the next round, that's when Liston sat down and said, fuck it. I quit. And this is a guy, they went into more detail on, on the, this documentary on how he had not only been, you know, beating guys, but murdering guys, just knocking them out left and right. He was, at the time that he was champion, before anybody knew that there was going to be a Cassius Clay or a Muhammad Ali, they thought that he was the next best thing to Mike Tyson. He was invulnerable. He kicked Floyd Patterson's ass. Just beat the shit out of Floyd Patterson twice. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden, he can't hit Clay. It was, as he was still known at the time, he can't hit him in the early rounds because Ali's dodging, ducking, dancing. So then they try the the uh, substance in the eye gimmick, and that doesn't work. And then he just says, fuck it, I'm staying on the stool, I quit. And they had somebody that, I don't necessarily believe any of this, but some former fight fixer say, well, that was the real work, that was the real fix. But it doesn't take into account why they did all the other shit first. It was like, it was like if Shitstain booked a pro boxing match. But it's very interesting. And the wrestling fans will enjoy there are interior shots, video of the Miami Beach Convention Center, empty and full with a ring for like the boxing setup. But it was the same place that they ran wrestling. And you can see, and there's even a wrestling sign in the background in the lobby, All-Star Wrestling, 845 Tuesday or whatever. But you can actually see what the Miami Beach Convention Center looked like full with a seating set up with ringside and a ring because that's where the wrestling matches took place there for 20, however many years. And obviously there was a connection too with Ali and the Dundees. Yes, because... um. What was uh, Angelo Chris, Dundee? Chris, well, Chris Dundee. No, I know Angelo Dundee, but Chris Dundee was Angelo. Was it his brother? I think so. Brother. And Chris Dundee was the wrestling promoter of record in Miami Beach. And the reason why they had the fight in Miami Beach at the convention center, that's where Ali was training at the time. And they wanted to bring the fight there and blah, blah, blah. But uh, it's just, it's such a cool place. It's a convention hall, and they have these massive, giant, uh, portable bleachers that they can wheel out and make the, you know, the setup. And then these, they had the old wooden floor chairs like they had in the Boston Garden when I got there in the 80s, but this is 1964. But those, con the, the convention hall setup, it was like the Expo Center in Indianapolis. It was just a giant room with these giant bleachers and the way they could configure the seating. In Indianapolis, I think they could go almost 10,000 people. I think from what I've seen of the 
wrestling clippings, at least for Miami Beach, they did what, you know, five, 6,000 people. But it was, it was a customized arena inside this giant building. So it really looks cool. And you can, that's the same place that they also shot the Jackie Gleason show on Saturday nights in the 60s because he wanted to, Jackie Gleason wanted to move to Miami Beach and had enough pull with the network that they let him. And it was the only network television show being broadcast live every week from Florida. So that got Miami Beach over. But they were at the convention center in, I guess, another part of it, but the same complex. And that's where Dusty used to brag about going in every week and taking a shit on the same toilet that Jackie Gleason used to take a shit on. And remember, the Beatles were around, too, because the Beatles came to New York to do Ed Sullivan, and then they went right down to, they stopped in D.C. and did that famous concert there, but they went to Miami for week two of Ed Sullivan, because Ed Sullivan was recording or taping or broadcasting live his show from Miami. Well, that's right, and that was where they got the picture in the ring with Ali, right? Uh, The famous picture of all four of them with Ali when he was training for the list and fight. Anyway. So there you, there's all kinds of wrestling tie-ins and, uh, and smarten yourself up about Sonny Liston, everybody. You think he was murdered? Well, I'll tell you what, um, they, they say that, you know, the, the official thing was there was no sign of foul play. Uh, but you know, boy, he certainly hadn't made a lot of friends and certainly had a lot of people that would be pleased and or uh excited if if he was no longer around right so they they leave it open but you kind of although at the same point you know he was he was he had fucked up a lot of other shit too maybe he just came to the end what 38 and he looked a lot older i mean you look at him he doesn't look like a 38 he looks like he's 52 did you hey god damn it well, he you does. Mean, he still looked eight years younger than me when he was laying there, a bloated corpse, and they found him four or five days after he was. I was talking about days before he was the bloated corpse. Oh, but okay. Then he then he looked better than me. Did you keep up with any of the big fights in boxing throughout the years? Like, I just got a book called The War, which is just all about the three rounds of Hagler versus Hearns. Like, did you keep up with that stuff when it was a real big event in the eighties, and it was? Something like that, where in terms of boxing work rate, I guess we'll say, it's like the greatest three rounds in the history of boxing. Like stuff like that, or uh, Riddick Bowe and Evander Holyfield, like that wasn't exactly Tyson, but was still major high profile things. Did you keep up with any boxing at all? Uh, peripherally in the, by the 80s, because I started actually, and honestly with boxing, paying attention to boxing before wrestling, because I knew boxing was a thing before I knew wrestling was a thing because it's Louisville and Ali, right? How big was it locally because of Ali? Well, it, the kids in the playground at school. Oh, but here's the thing. Boxing necessarily, peripherally, boxing was a big thing, but it was Ali was a big thing. If it, And, you know, during that period of time, late 60s, early 70s, not only, especially when Ali was on the outs with the federal government, another top heavyweight, Jimmy Ellis, that was in the title picture while Ali was barred from fighting, he was from Louisville. And there were a few other, in the 80s, we had a uh, heavyweight that there was a lot of hope for named Greg Page, 
uh, say the I say eighties, late seventies, early eighties, and he ended up with brain damage in a fight and caused all kinds of problems for the uh, athletic commission here. But it was like it was Ali was hot. It was like to the wrestling fans, there weren't really wrestling fans, but they wanted to see Steve Austin at that period of time in Louisville. If Ali fought, the town stopped and the newspapers covered it, and you know the closed circuit showing was full the newspapers had a lot of uh, other boxing coverage if it was somebody that was going to potentially fight ali <laughs> and then it trickled down from there so i won't say boxing was the big thing but ali definitely everybody was and you know nobody wanted to be frazier you know they, they played cowboys and indians everybody wanted to be the cowboy and play you know nobody wanted to be the indian when guys would fight kids i say uh, I should say, kids would fight. Nobody wanted to be Frazier. Everybody wanted to be Ali. And that was white kids, too. And you go back and really look at everything, and it's been documentaries, it's been books. Frazier was really the baby face. And Ali took advantage of his kindness in a lot of ways, because Frazier did a lot for Ali, and then Ali would turn around and just, you know, like they would shake hands yeah. backstage and walk in front <laughs> of the camera, and he would just start hitting him, and not hitting him with punches, but hitting him with insults, and Frazier wasn't as quick and had to try to fight back. And what a dynamic relationship that was. Well, and Ali knew that Frazier wasn't a very good worker, so he never smartened him up that he was working. <laughs> he was making Frazier millions of dollars, but he didn't know it because he was taking it seriously. And that was, you know, that's the thing is that Frazier, I guess it was kind of like a Sputnik Monroe thing in Memphis at the time. To the adults, Frazier was, the, especially adults not from Louisville, Frazier was the baby face. But to the, to the young people, Ali was cool. And anyway, and especially the Ali Frazier trilogy to answer your original question, um, long ago that you asked. Yeah, Hagler Hearns. Well, the Ali Frazier trilogy, and then Ali's fight and then by, you know, 78 and Spinks, and then, oh God, please don't do it again in 1980 with Larry Holmes. And then I get into business and I'm on the road. Now I'm during the time from what late sixties when I became cognizant of Ali and being from Louisville and being in the news and getting the license to fight again, I would have been eight when he got back in the ring. So that was right about that time from 70 through let's say 75, 76. I got the book on the great, or not the great, but all the boxing heavyweight champions and started reading some more boxing history. And that's where I got into John L. Sullivan and Jake Kilrain and fucking Corbett and I could Bob Fitzsimmons. I could give you their finish punches and their the title succession down through the 20th century. But then I got into wrestling business. I'm on the road. I'm not studying that. And you know Tyson comes along, and yes, I'm cognizant of the fights and Hagler and Hearns and Leonard. Then it's more about they're doing big money on pay-per-view, and you see the highlights later on, but it wasn't a thing to me. Like, Ali triggered my interest in learning the boxing history, but I just didn't keep up with the new stuff because I got on the road with wrestling. And I figured I probably wasn't going to make a lot of money in professional boxing. If you've never seen it, one day you should watch Hagler versus Hearns. For three rounds, it's just chaos it's just mayhem and it's hard to predict what the finish is going to be and it's almost you know i'm sure some wrestler throughout the years has 
taken some elements of that and applied it to a match. But I often think like it's like a well booked, it's like a well booked boxing match. That's a shoot because clearly they're kicking the shit out of each other. But what a match! Every boxing match ever in wrestling has sucked pond water. Have you noticed that? Every time, even involving a boxer. And then there was the infamous Dennis Corluso versus Tommy Fierro boxing match. <laughs> it's only infamous because you have <laughs> talked about it so much. If there's a video of it, I haven't seen it. I've, if there was, I'm sure it was immediately destroyed. But <laughs> I, told, I told them both after the thing. It was at some armory somewhere in New Jersey. I said... That is the absolute worst thing I've ever seen in my history of watching professional wrestling. I said, but I've only been watching it for 31 years or whatever at that <laughs> point, right? Anyway, um, enough boxing talk because we got emails. And I've been going through, if I haven't read yours, don't get mad at me. It's not that your story didn't either tickle or touch me, but it's that I'm just, I'm bouncing around and I've printed a lot of stuff out and you may get read at one point or another, but just as these things come to my attention, uh, this is from Adam and he doesn't say where he's from, but he sent me a picture and he said, hi, Jim, I'm a dedicated listener, both the drive through and the experience. I wanted to pass along the news of the passing of my dedicated pup Monroe who passed away Tuesday, February 15th at the age of 15. And the picture was just, he's just a cute pup. Um, as my adventure and walking partner, I would listen to the shows when we were out walking around town, and sometimes he'd whip his head around and wonder what I was laughing at while having my earbuds in, Raycons, of course. He was super spoiled and loved by many, and he would love to have a shout-out should you ever find time on an upcoming episode for the amazing life that he lived. And so therefore I think Monroe deserves a shout out. And and named again, after at, the Monroe brothers. Ab- apparently, at first I thought it was bad news about one of them, but um and Adam we're sorry for your loss, but hey, he was 15 and he lived a spoiled life. And another from Julian. For, Julian, I won't mention your last name from Greenwood, Indiana. That ought to narrow it down to about two or three people. Uh, but Julian said, hey, Jim and, and Brian to you, this is to both of us. Uh, just wanted to reach out and say thank you to you and Brian. I'm an avid listener to the podcast. Haven't missed an episode in years. Long story short, I lost my mother a few days ago after a two-week stint in the ICU. And after watching my mother pass late Friday night, the first thing I did when I got to my car in the hospital parking garage was to turn on the drive through no matter what kind of day I'm having, your podcasts always make me feel better. And a special thank you to Rocky the Ramon, who had my family laughing uncontrollably, uncontrollably with his most recent song detailing your fence getting destroyed, <laughs> which I believe was Dead Mustang Hill. That's right. Uh, but Julian, uh, and obviously we're sorry about your mother, uh, but if if there was some screwy way that we could make your day better that day, then we'll take it regardless. Another email on a brighter note, Brian. Oh, let me. Oh, oh, my back hurts. Oh, as okay. I shift around, I shifted around in my chair. You know, it's cold outside. I've heard. Yeah, you were freezing to death. Just 
hours ago. Man, the sun has just come beaming into the office. This is beautiful now. Yeah, why don't you take your sunbeam and shove it up your fucking Hershey Highway? Hey. You know, that ought to be a, a Hallmark greeting card. Why don't you take your sunbeam and shove it up your Hershey Highway? <laughs> this is from Tony. Following up on the Jim Cornette Experience episode 419, I can confirm that yes, indeed, Damian Priest has been abused and misused since being called up to the main roster. The split personality gimmick has taken the place of the Archer of Infamy gimmick, complete with a terrible entrance graphic video, and commentators wondering aloud, are we going to see the Damian side come out? Whenever he shows aggression <laughs> in the ring. <laughs> I guess the other side is the priest side. <laughs> He's either going to bless someone or fucking damn them to hell with his father, the Satan himself. Anyway, and Tony says that gives me indigestion each time I hear it. He finally won his first match in two months a couple of weeks ago, despite being the United States champion and looks to have a WrestleMania match with Finn Balor coming up, but aside from that, they clearly don't know what to do with him, and it doesn't look like that's going to change. Hey, was Damian Priest named after the good guy and the bad guy in The Omen? Was he named after Damian and the Priest? Yes. <laughs> and and if he if Alex Karras was still around to be his manager, there comes Damian Priest with Karras. All right. <laughs> All righty then. One more of these. And I won't name who this is from. Because if I did, people would start accusing me of taking payoffs as, as well as you. However, remember we referenced that on AEW the other night, they had one of Jamie Hayter caved, or didn't cave, but hit. Mercedes Martinez, the other girl over the head with a lead pipe, and they used it in the angle and the girls' garbage match and blah, blah, blah. It didn't cave her head in. There was no blood or whatever. But I said, and then she exposed their own business by picking up the lead pipe and swinging it around like a toothpick, right? And I made mockery of that. Right. Well, this letter from an unnamed source from Starkville, Mississippi. Says, hi, Jim. You're completely right about your take on the lead pipe Jamie Hayter swung around like a toothpick. My good-for-nothing brother and I worked for my dad when we were kids doing plumbing jobs. My dad did indoor plumbing and also did big jobs for rural water systems. I'm over six feet tall and over 200 pounds. Thanks for bragging. And I couldn't swing a pipe around like that in a million years because the sheer weight of it would tear every ligament in my body and probably break my arm, wrist, and elbow. P.S. Please remind the cult my brother is good for nothing. So there you have it. From an unnamed source. Wow, haters a lot stronger than I thought. In Starkville, Mississippi. You know, I hate it when families fight. Who knew Charlie was a son of a plumber? <laughs> <laughs> I always knew he was a son of something. He's been called many, many sons of things. But anyway, I hate it when family gets in, in issues like that. When family fights, I'll have, I heard, you know, Hotchkiss Featherbottom is doing a, a yeoman's job, a phenomenal job on the Cornets Collectibles Merchandise Fulfillment 
now that uh, he's got his aunt and uncle Fanny and Felcher working for him underneath him, cracking the whip on him, getting him to stuff the packages and print the labels and carry the things out to be shipped and everything. The the folks, the customers at jimcornet.com, the Cult of Cornet members, getting their packages quicker than ever now, apparently. Because I guess I was just hopelessly behind the times with my do-everything-by-hand, pen-and-paper type of thing. You were pretty quick, though. You got things out pretty quickly. Well, that's because I it basically ran myself into a nervous breakdown and had no other life. But now I actually, I have time to, you know, I won't insult Rob from Toronto talking about Harley shit this morning, but I had time to sit down and take a nice shit this morning. Usually I just run in there and just, just poop it out as quickly as possible. and Don't get time to sit there and savor it because I'm so busy, but now stop. You could stop. I think huh? I think more people would rather hear about Harley taking a shit than you taking a shit. If I'm going to be honest with you, is, is the visual of Harley taking a shit out in the yard cuter than me hunched over my toilet trying to take a rapid fire, dropping the Browns off at the Super Bowl, letting the fudge monkey out of his cage, rapid firing fire? off a chocolate <laughs> rocket, not having time to sit there and savor the the moment? Why are you hunched over? Why not get a squatty potty? Well, it's because I'm trying to do it quicker because I'm always on the run. But see, now I've got time. Now I've got, now I've got more time with the feather bottoms in charge of things. It makes my bottom feel like a feather. But I found out about uh, Hotchkiss's uh, other set of uncles. You know, Fanny and Felcher are his aunt and uncle on his mother's left side. I mentioned this. But he had uncles on his father's side. Did you know that they were once a human cannonball act in a circus. The Blastini brothers. His his uncle Boyle and Burp Blastini were a human cannonball act in a circus. They, they've, they've, they've all got showbiz in them. And the entertainment, I've told you about Hotchkiss's, you know, the Velvet Colander, his punk rock cooking show. They've all down the line, the genealogy of the Featherbottoms. They've got the, the showbiz in them. But the Blastini brothers met a tragic end, Brian. Because one of his uncles grew despondent and depressed and ended up committing suicide. He shot himself in the head with his brother. Awful. But anyway, but the Featherbottoms are doing a wonderful job. I was over there. That's where I heard this story. I was over there the other day as I was watching the assembly line. And it's amazing. So, folks, if you want to go to jimcornett.com right now, and I urge you to, since it's no skin off my nose now, I'm not slaving away. And by the way, John the Hunchback at the post office retiring. His last day is Monday. Get out of here. You just found this out? I, I just went in there for a couple of personal items. Bree's already left. Got a new manager, a new supervisor. John's retiring. They've broken up that old gang of mine. My only social interaction, no more. At least now I can go and talk to the feather bottoms. But anyway. So if you're wanting to purchase these fine items from jimcornet.com, T-shirts, Cult of Cornet membership certificates, autographed 8x10 photos, DVDs, and signed copies of Behind the Curtain, get them while they're hot right now at jimcornet.com because on Saturday, March the 5th at noon Eastern, we're going to kick it up a notch. The last under 400 Christmas variant action figures 
me in the red and green, my festive outfit, uh, those are going to go on sale at jimcornett.com Saturday, March 5th at noon Eastern. First come, first served. And when these are gone, we are not remaking this design. They are gone forever. So it will slow things down a bit that week. Uh, if you want something besides an action figure, order it before March 5th and you'll get first, uh, first crack at every, or you'll get served first. That's what I'm trying to say. You'll get serviced first. And until you've been serviced by a feather bottom, you've never been serviced before, but I'm still signing everything by hand, including the checks to the feather bottoms. All right. Are you still there? I am. I thought you lost power again. I was hoping I would, but no, I'm still here. You didn't like my poop story? All <laughs> right, I got one for you. Continuing on with our recurring segment. You know, ever oh, no. since. Well, no, it, it was brought up in one of our sponsor commercials. You know, when you type in why is my into your searcher on the google machine a lot of times it'll come up computer running slow and we've tipped the people off on how they can rectify those situations but our readers our readers our listeners or readers if you're if you're out there reading a transcription of this i I wonder what we do look like with goddamn closed captioning i gotta watch that sometime can they understand us you think at the closed captioning institute for technology Anyway, it's a recurring thing now. The listeners have been writing in, why is my, why are my, and they'll add a word. We've gone through, why is my penis? Why is my anus? Well, I got news for you, Brian, something you may not have known. We have female fans. Were you aware of this? I was aware of this, yes. Well, they're few and far between. And Melissa from Alabama, actually from Helena, not Helena, like in Arkansas, but Helena, Alabama, Missy has written us. Okay. I may be one of the only females who listen voluntarily, but much love to you and Mr. Last. Now she wants to do the distaff side of things, as they used to say, the, the, the female twist or turn or take on this bit of fun that we've been having. So she went with, why are my boobs? Brian, would you like to hear the top seven answers? Not really. If you type in, why are my boobs? Got them right here. Sounds like you uh, have a lot to read there. Well, it's, it's, it's heavy reading because I have you seen Missy. Oh boy, I tell she'll never drown. Anyway, number one, I'm going to go on with this anyway. Number one, why are my boobs sore? Now, I think we all can identify with that. Brian, you've asked that question many times, right? Sure. Potentially, her date the night before was using them for speed bags, possibly. Number two, see, you can't really participate in this because you've never had these these issues come up, but it's good to know because you're married. We all got to know about the, our other halves and, and the problems and the trials and tribulations they go through. You want to know about your wife's tribulations, don't you? Yeah. I don't know how many of the, her tribulations are aligned with this list of boob 
Well, you know, we haven't, we, we haven't got the next six. There's something could match up here. All right. Number two, why are my boobs itchy? Sounds like a natural problem. That's a problem that you could have, and it doesn't even have to be female. Everybody could have the, the itch on, the, on their boobs. Number three, here's a problem that I think it's not confined necessarily to any particular sex. As a matter of fact, if it's not confined to the female gender, this may be a bigger problem. Number three, why are my boobs getting bigger? All right, I can see why oh, that would gotta, be a concern. Yeah, you got to wonder about that. Why? Now, remember, number one was why are my boobs sore? Number two, why are my boobs itchy? Number three, why are my boobs getting bigger? Number four, why are my boobs always sore? See, now it's a recurring problem. A constant issue. You would think an ice pack or potentially a massage. I'm sure Missy. Well, I guess this wasn't really all things wrong with her particular own personal private stock of boobs. It's just the people out there in the in the wide world. Number five, why are my boobs so big? <laughs> now they went right from, to, there's not big is not on here. See, they went right to why are my boobs so big? Possibly they're swollen because they're sore because they've been used as punching bags the night before. Number six, that was one of the Misty Blue videos with Cat LaRue and Linda Dallas. They did the Foxy Boxing. <laughs> and and then they were they were topless and, and punching each other's fun bags. And then in the later scene, they had they had band-aids on their boobs, not on the nipples, just on the side of their boobs, like in a crisscross, like in a cartoon, to indicate that they had injuries from their foxy boxing. Luckily, she was able to recover and main event against you in, what was it, Baltimore? <laughs> Baltimore, $103,000 in a snowstorm, by God. Number five, and I'm sorry that we already did that. Number six, why are my boobs burning? Well, that may be a problem. That would be a bit and would need an immediate answer, I would think. Now, you know, if they're sore, if they're itchy, if they're always sore, if they're getting bigger... If they're so big, you, you got time to work on that. If they're burning, I suggest you seek immediate attention. And finally, number seven, Brian, the one you've been waiting for. And this, I think, would be a concern to everyone. Well, depending on the, the context, maybe. Why are my boobs leaking? I can see that being a problem. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, is it... Are they, it, I don't know how to, you know, politely address this, but is, is there a baby in the picture? Are they, is it leaking, but it's, uh, you're producing some form of liquid out of there on a regular basis, or that you're just walking around town one day and the shit's dripping out your, your shirt. It could be either, or it also could be a way that stupid people find out they're pregnant. Why am I leaking? <laughs> oh shit. This is a who <laughs> Who are you mad at? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All righty then. Well, that that was uh, our version of Jackie Gleason's You're in the Picture. <laughs> and uh, folks, I'll tell you one thing, though. If you, if you ever sit down at the Google machine and you type in 
Why am I in horrible fucking physical condition? I got the answer for you. Because you don't work out. You're not exercising. You're not taking care of yourself. You're just, you're just wasting away. You're just, you're just allowing yourself to go to seed, to pot, to ruin. And you need to keep moving. Use it or lose it. That kind of thing. Brian, you know what I'm talking about. You need to get out there and you need to sweat. And you need to strain. And you need to, you need to feel the burn. As long as it's not in your boobs. You need to work hard to reach your fitness goals and the people and the company and the whole apparatuses that can help you are our friends at Echelon. Brian, how many, how many Echelon machines do you, you got that whole giant home gym there. You've got the whole, the the whole schmear, the whole nine yards, the whole spread of everything. Now you've got the, the lat machines and the pull down machines and the, and the, the taint machines, the stationary bikes, the smart rowers, the sleek fitness screens. You look so fit on those sleek screens. You look much better than you do on those old tube screens. And of course, the ever popular auto folding treadmill. You can watch it at one, three, five, and seven in a special late night show. Bring the kids <laughs> half price at nine. It will fold and unfold by itself in front of your very eyes, folks. If you've been working too hard and not working out enough, you want to get in shape, Echelon Fitness brings the gym home to you. And then you've got to feed him and potentially let him sleep over. If you've got a New Year's resolution or any type of resolution to reach your fitness goals, Echelon Fitness is the affordable way to get the workout equipment, the workout community, and an instructor's motivation right in the comfort and privacy of your own home. I, I I actually first thought that that was in the comfort of your own privy. And I was like, how in the world are you going to exercise in there? But fortunately, I just didn't have my glasses on. Echelon Fitness's fitness app provides you thousands of live and on-demand classes with great music from your favorite artists. And you can work out anytime, day or night. As a matter of fact, work out both day and night. Don't stop working out. If you work out to the point of complete physical exhaustion where you're Bodily organs begin to shut down. That's when you're seeing real progress, folks. Just pick your class, climb the leaderboard, cheer each other on, and give it your all because your life depends on it. There's a special mechanism in some of these machines. If you're in last place amongst this entire community, you will be dealt with. Folks, there's around-the-clock classes for the family. Don't put your children on the auto-folding treadmill unaccompanied. And you can get a full-body workout program as long as your wife is out of town. One membership will cover a family of five or you, your wife, two kids, and a mistress on the side. And right now, for a limited time only, podcast listeners can get up to $840 off the MSRP of what I'm not sure. I think it's all the equipment they sell. But to get this exclusive <laughs> podcast discount, text DRIVE, D-R-I-V-E, to 81818, D-R-I-V-E, to 81818, to get up to $840 off MSRP on those things. Message and data rates may apply. Terms available at echelonfit.com slash SMS. Membership sold separately. And please, for all the people texting DRIVE to OU812, quit jacking around.
All right, I guess we ought to start talking about some wrestling on this program to get that out of the way. I got peanut butter blossoms waiting on me, I'll have you know. A big old batch of them. What are those? And Jace, no, that's not an edit. That's just an expression of frustration. What are peanut butter blossoms? You mean to tell me that up there in New Jersey, they don't have the absolute most dead. I know Stacy's not there to make them for you, but somebody could try to do a, a knockoff version, some kind of cheap Chinese replica of Stacy Cornett's world famous peanut butter blossom cookies. Certainly, you've, you've had to have run across a peanut butter blossom during your time traversing the country. A, I haven't, but B, it may also be because I hate peanut butter. Ah! I like peanuts, but I hate peanut butter. So you like just the bland base material of peanut butter that is bad for your teeth, but you don't like the, the smooth, creamy goodness that is a jar of Jif peanut butter. Is what you're saying before we go any further. Here. Well, I'm not going to say that's what I'm saying because you're you're twisting my words. I'm not conceding that peanuts need to be bland. There's honey roasted. There's <laughs> honey roasted and salted. There's lightly salted. There's a variety of options. <laughs> There's a variety of three options <laughs> if the two overlap each other. <laughs> All those. Well, how can you possibly make a choice? It's the Baskin Robbins of peanuts. A, a peanut butter blossom, for your information, is a peanut butter cookie with a Hershey's kiss on top of it. She puts these peanut butter cookies in the oven. And she bakes them just the right amount of time. And then she puts the, she individually unwraps the Hershey's kiss and she sets it right on top of each one as they're sitting on top of the stove and they start melting. And then she puts them in the refrigerator, believe it or not. And they're just slightly underdone the way I like them so that the bottom doesn't get brown or hard or anything. They're mushy when they go in your mouth. But she puts them in a refrigerator and that freezes, it doesn't freeze them, but it stops them in the cooking process before they get too far gone. And then you take them out and you put them in the daggum container that the cookies go in. And when you want to eat some, you pull them out. And you put them on a plate and you put them in a microwave for 10 seconds, about four or five of them. And that then when you take your finger and you press it right on the top of the Hershey's Kiss, it melts right onto the cookie. And then you don't even pick them up with your hands because now they're nice and mushy. You take your fork and you cut each one of them in half and you make sure you cut right down the middle of that peanut butter blossom. So you get half the chocolate on one half the cookie and half chocolate on the other. And then you eat them, and, and they're good. And you have missed out on that in life, Brian Lass. I have. It sounds like a lot of work. But <sighs> speaking work, of... <laughs> work to eat. It's too much work to eat. Well, speaking Use of too much work... work and bring the food to your mouth. Speaking of too much work, let's do some, is where you're trying to get me to go. <laughs> That's where I was trying to get you to go. <clears throat> well, well, we'll go there. Another one has bitten the dust. Brian Last, another great talent, has emerged unemployed from the World Wrestling Entertainment this week. The former Claudio Castagnoli, recently for the past 10 or 11 years, known as Cesaro, thankfully that will be over. 
formerly Antonio Cesaro. That's right. He did have two names for a while, didn't he? And then Vince decided he hates first names. He hates the yeah. name Antonio, apparently. Well, he'd never forgiven Rocca for turning on his old man. Uh, you know, but actually, I think this is probably the best thing. I don't know. I'm I'm not Claudio's accountant, uh, but it's the best thing for him because they were never, despite numerous opportunities, apparently ever going to let him go as far as one would think his ability would be able to take him if they let him. Um, do you remember just a couple of years ago um, when the pandemic first started? And I can't remember what show it was, but it was one of the first shows they did with no people, just, you know, empty arena. And he was the only guy that his shit actually worked with no fans. Everybody else was just used to painting by numbers, having the standard WWE match, you know, whatever. And he adapted and because he can work and he can work a variety of styles and his shit looks good. And he was athletic. Uh, and instead of trying to do, you know, the, the shit that we found out doesn't translate a lot of cases when there's no people in the building, you know, he, he, he would adapt himself to whatever environment he was in. Cause he's that good. And I've been a huge fan of his since the ring of honor days. And so I think it's the best thing for him that, that how can we miss you if you won't go away? But besides that, if you know. As Dutch Mantel you say, if you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got. And that's where he was going to be if he was still in the WWE. Just, you know, the guy that you can have a good match and get a good reaction out of and et cetera, et cetera, and we're not going to do anything with him. Well, beyond the good match, he's one of a string of guys. And it's been a variety to them. Everything from Zack Ryder, you know, now he's Matt Cardona, his real name, to Miro when he was Rusev where there have been points where the crowd really seemed to get behind Cesaro and they were ready to elevate him. But the company wasn't. And the company wasn't listening to the crowd at that moment. And eventually, things die down when you keep booking someone like shit. Yeah. That groundswell can only stay up for so long. The, some of the most over-attractions in wrestling history started getting over on their own and their individual booker or whoever saw that and went with it and gave them an opportunity to expand on it rather than, well, they may like him, but we don't have any plans for him. Well, make some fucking plans. It's they, they, they put the cart squarely in front of the horse in a lot of cases with, Cesaro or anybody else when they it's easier when somebody when the fans already like somebody to make them like them more or if they already dislike somebody make them dislike them more than it is to make the fans do either when they don't care about somebody to begin with so but anyway as I said the only problem that I have now is and this may be an unpopular opinion because, I mean, I've already seen people speculating as soon as they released the news, what, yesterday, I think it was, or whatever, that his contract expired. It wasn't that they released him. It was that his contract was up. They couldn't agree on a new deal. And so now everybody's thinking, oh, he'll fit right in in AEW. 
Well, I'm sure he might, but I wish he would take six months off and maybe he's already done this part of it. Come up with an entirely new presentation. Take what he does well, what his strong points are. He's got a lot of them, but figure out not Claudio Castagnoli because that doesn't fit real well on the marquee. And there's, you know, there's a reason why Reggie Lasowski became the crusher, just like there's a reason why Reginald Dwight became Elton John. But in, in terms of his look, his presence, the way he dresses, the way he presents himself, take the shit that is in his in-ring game and that he's, that he's good at. He speaks, what, five or six languages or whatever. I don't know how that figures into anything, but we can't just see Cesaro with his old name. We can't just see Claudio Castagnoli the way he used to present himself before WWE. This is a main event guy that presented in the right way can make a stir and, but he's got to, there's got to be something. And I'm, I don't have the answer to that. I don't know what his gimmick is. I haven't seen him in 10 years besides on television, but if he can figure that out and update something and new fresh, he's strong as a bull. He doesn't have any bad habits. He's a great fucking guy. He's an incredible worker. He's very intelligent. You know, there you've this is a guy that and he's obviously dedicated to the wrestling business. So it's a guy that you can use and would be a benefit to your company if you can figure out a way to use the guy without bringing in a guy that's been on the other guy's TV for the past 10 years and hadn't set the world on fire through mostly none of his own fault. See what I'm saying? There's got to be something different with him. He needs to make a splash. I'd like to see him take six months off and get out of people's minds. And he doesn't just come fresh from the other television because it hasn't been, you know, some guys coming fresh from the other TV might be a benefit. But in this case, I don't think it is. I think we want to forget about Cesaro and we want to be able to take a fresh look at whoever Claudio Castagnoli is going to be next. But I've been a huge fan of his since Ring of Honor, him and Hero. They were my Midnight Express at that point in time. In Ring of Honor 2009, 2010, 2011, we had Davey Richards and Eddie Edwards, the American Wolves, had the Briscoe brothers, obviously. Even Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin came in for us. But the centerpiece of the tag team division originally and in the Sinclair era, especially was going to be hero and Claudio, the Kings of wrestling. That was the biggest loss in, yeah. your, in your time in ring of honor. I think. Oh, and, and, and that was the thing is I knew what was going to happen, but I couldn't stop it because even if you told him what was going to happen and that was what happened for Claudio, I guess financially it worked out. Okay. For hero, it, it was just a morass of, aggravation but well, before i tell you what i predicted let me put them over a little bit and hero had a lot to do with training claudio because claudio came along you know somewhat afterwards but hero at that point in time 
he, I mean, he had early in his career, he'd had a Superman outfit. He was a chubby guy. There's comedy going on. But all of a sudden, at that period of time, he had gotten in the best shape I think he's ever been in. He's not a guy that shows muscles, but he was lean and he's a tall guy. He could do really outrageous looking stuff for a guy of that size and that height. And I I remember seeing him out in, out in the ring warming up one night, doing handstands on the top rope, which he didn't look like he had neither the arm power nor that tall of a guy to be able to do that, that balance, whatever. But he wrote, he was working hard. He had transformed his body and he had his shit down. And Claudio is such an amazingly strong guy. He was green then, but he was a great student. And they meshed well as a team. and. I knew right there that a, a team that can work with the American Wolves and do the modern style high spots and stuff, but can go in with the Briscoes and have a fight, can go in with Haas and Benjamin and have a classic wrestling match with wrestling spots. They could do everything. And they got, I remember the, uh, my favorite match, whoever wants to search it out was in Toronto, Kings of Wrestling and the Briscoe brothers in a street fight. And I helped produce that for them and, and showed them a bunch of the old tricks and bullshit. And they had an old-fashioned street fight where they used furniture, but everything still made sense, and it tore the fucking house down. And then they could go in and do lucha if they needed to. Because Hero had been a lot of different places, and he's a you know hyper-business-studying guy. But they, the point is, they were the best tag team, I thought, all around in the ring in the business at that time. And they would have always been figured in as heels, as you know, like the Midnight Express were. You might want to use the Briscoes as heels later on, would they be on top? Or Haas and Benjamin might, might turn heel, but always the Kings would be figured. And they got the offer as soon as pretty much as we announced the sale to Sinclair to go to developmental Florida championship wrestling at that point. And we all knew and predicted what was going to happen. They were going to get there. They were going to love Claudio because he had the body and the muscles and they weren't going to love hero because he didn't have a body and muscles, even though he was the better worker and kind of the key to the leader of the team. And they would never get another tag team match together because they'd split them up and make them singles. And hero was doomed. In that environment, whereas Claudio, they would probably like him, and then they'd find out that he probably wasn't a dynamic promo on his own without somebody like his partner to play off of. And that's pretty much what happened, except he, because he's such a great guy and a just upstanding person, you know, he was in a system for 10 or 11 years or whatever it was, but. And, you know, that's, I hate being right sometime, but that's, we couldn't tell them, well, don't take this opportunity because that'd be pissing on their dreams, but somebody else pissed on their dreams. You know, it's like when ECW got on TNN, right when that happened, the Dudley boys went to WWE and whether you like him or not, they were a major part of the ECW show and yeah. Paul finally gets TV and they're gone. To me, like I said before, one of the biggest what ifs, what if for the next two years you had had the Kings of Wrestling? I think it changes the entire makeup of every one of those shows going forward. It would have been a lot better, I think. 
Yeah, well, that's why I hated to see him go. <laughs> Naturally, yeah. Um, you know, but uh, again, and a lot of people are going to say, well, Claudio at least, you know, had the opportunity to be a single. As great as some people are, did you ever hear me say that Bobby Eaton should have ever been the world heavyweight champion? Never. Because he shouldn't. But as a tag team, he was a member of and the driving force behind the best tag team in the world. And the if they had had the opportunity, uh, Chris and Claudio, to be in a promotion that focused on or presented tag team wrestling at a level of or near the level of singles wrestling, then that would have opened up a chance for them to be on main events of major shows. But because every time they get a good tag team, the first thing they do is split them up down there. Or if they're identical brothers or whatever the fuck, they're kind of stuck with each other. Uh, or the Mysterios, father and son, whatever the case. It just, you know, both of them were going to be limited, especially, you know, Chris, for the reasons I mentioned, but even Claudio, because you don't see that guy as the world singles champion, but the package was good enough to be in main events together as a tag team. I guess that's what I'm saying. So anyway, I hope he does not go right to AEW. Can I ask you a question about that? Yes. And you know, this is one of those cases where you kind of wish you had at least a ring of honor that was up and running right now. So there would be a landing spot for someone who's not ready for AEW or shouldn't go to AEW right now or may not want to go to AEW. And we all assume he'll go to AEW because of who he is and his work. But I think part of the problem for me is, and I'm sure he'll go there and have great matches with a lot of those guys, but because we've seen so many guys come off WWE TV and go right into AEW, it takes down the excitement level for me of a guy like that going there, even though I like him more than I like a Malachi Black, let's say. We've seen too many guys. Andrade, Miro, even though he vastly improved before he vastly disappeared. We've seen various people come off that TV, and that's one of those dangers. I mean, you need people that fans will recognize, but you don't want to fill your roster with tons of ex-WWE guys. But see, here's the thing. To me, Claudio is not a guy that you... He's not going to make a difference if they just announced Claudio or Cesaro or whatever is going to be on TV next week. He could make a difference if he, and I'm not talking about him not going right to AEW, going somewhere else. I'm talking about disappear. The last thing that Claudio Castagnoli needs is practice wrestling. And, and I would think that since he's a intelligent, intelligent, I would think since he's an intelligent, sensible person that's been employed by the WWE for 10 years that he's not in financial duress, I would, as I said, if I was him, I'd go away and nobody would see me or hear from me. And Cesaro would be the furthest thing from anybody's mind past, I wonder where he went. And is it six months or is it a year? Stay in shape. And figure out the way you want to be presented as a single, as a top guy, as a main event star, and how you can make an impact wherever you want to go. Make those arrangements. Go somewhere in secret. Don't work shows to practice it. As I said, he doesn't need practice wrestling. He needs practice with his presentation. 
get a couple of your trusted friends and go to a like the Nightmare Factory or wh- wherever the fuck Claudio's wrestling these days, somebody that I bet he knows has got a ring around, and do this in secret and come out as a new person with a plan on how to get that new person over, whether anybody knows, and they'll figure out it's Claudio. It doesn't matter. Right away. Being presented and, as Claudio. And you have to say that. Everyone will know who it is right yes, away. Yes, everybody doesn't matter. Because you're focusing on presenting that guy as he is now and getting that guy as he is now over rather than worrying about did people know him because he was on WWE television. With with a Brian Danielson or a CM Punk, you want people to know him from WWE television. With Cesaro, no. You want your own main event guy that you're presenting and promoting an entirely different way. And, and then we'll see based on his merits and what he wants, not some bullshit Tony Khan Welsh rarebit dream or the fantasies of these spooky dungeon and dragon dwelling people like the house of the knights of the kings of the throne of the black guy or whatever the fuck they're doing. Not hokey, not spooky, not supernatural, hopefully something cool and dynamic. And a way that Claudio can be himself and do his thing, whatever that may be. But that's the way you would want to present a guy like that. He didn't he didn't set the world on fire. He didn't draw record gates. He didn't set record pay-per-views in the WWE. Is that his fault? No, not entirely. Never got a chance to. But that's what they if if he just comes out and does the same thing, it's the same thing in a different place. Take some time. Let him miss him, then come back as somebody new, and holy free holy, let's see what happens. And another guy choosing not to re-sign with WWE when they offered a contract. Yes, and that's why I'm hoping and thinking that he's probably financially able to do what I'm talking about doing. Because, again, you know, he probably got to the point where, like, well, this is, this is what it's going to be, and, and I can do more. Maybe he's thinking about going to Japan. I mean, he would fit in, my God. As strong as he is, the power shit that he can do, the Japanese folks would love him. So, I mean, he fits in in a variety of places, but I would I would come up with, if I was Claudio, and boy, he's sitting there right now if he's listening, thinking, thank God he's not. There he is on your phone. Well, son of a bitch. Claudio, I'll be there in a minute. Um... I would be thinking this, whatever I do coming up on national television is going to be the way people are going to remember me for the rest of my career, good, bad, or indifferent. So I want to make it right. I want to make an impact. I want to show what I can do. And I don't want to be fucking around with the pudding gang or just being booked because I was once friends with a guy who flip flopped from WWE to AEW. And now I'm in a program with him. Because they ain't got anything else for me. And he has no non-compete. His contract's up, and he's ready to do whatever he wants tomorrow or today if he wants. Well, uh, but again, do you know, uh, time heals all wounds, and time sometimes can heal bad booking, except when it's spectacular. I mean, Terry Taylor never got over the Red Rooster, etc. But... Cesaro, they haven't made him a complete idiot. They just haven't let him go to his potential. Go home, read a book in several different languages. 
Think of what you, who you want to be. Have a plan. Work it out ahead of time. Don't rush into anything and go at it. Don't make it so gimmicky that you can't knock it out of the park and be somebody. That would be my advice. But in the meantime, since you know he is the Swiss Superman, right? And he speaks what I said, five, six, maybe seven languages. And he's, he's a continental kind of guy, an intercontinental kind of guy. He, he's traveled all over the world, right? And he's moving with the movers and shakers. He's got the international Savoy Fair, the debonair kind of thing going on. If pro wrestling doesn't work out, I'm thinking maybe Claudio Castagnoli goes into fine art. What do you think, Brian? It's hard to give you an answer. I had never thought about this option for the former Cesaro, the former Antonio Cesaro, the once Claudio Castagnoli, maybe again, fine art. Fine art. Interesting. I think that's a great idea. Fine art. Or as I sometimes uh, abbreviate it when I'm taking notes, F art. Because fine art can get you far in the world today because, you know, it's a great investment. And it's an investment that a guy, an international mover and shaker, a rich man like Claudio Castagnoli, he can easily get into. But Brian, for the rest of us, for all of us low-level schlubs, you know, who's we think fine art is the Sunday funnies. Sometimes it's not as easy for us. But now it can be. Have you heard about the folks at Masterworks? I have, and this is a very, very exciting series of things that you could do with Masterworks. And of course, the idea of buying fine art, owning a piece of fine art. Like you said, it's been a high barrier of entry, but now anyone could get in. Just anybody, just willy nilly. You can't, I'm telling you, you can't beat this thing. Because if you, just last week, I bought the Mona Lisa's left nostril. Now, the folks at Masterworks is letting normal guys like you and me, Brian, and all of our listeners out there who are all normal, mentally and physically and sexually, we're all normal. But normal guys like you and me now can diversify our portfolios with blue chip art from masters like Picasso and Monet and Basquiat. Basquiat? Basquiat. And also Ralph Bakshi. There's some prints on here of, that I'm looking at of Ralph Bakshi's, but diversifying with art isn't new. The ultra-wealthy have done it for centuries, and it's no wonder when you learn that blue-chip art prices outpaced the S&P 500 by 164% for the last 25 years. I've talked about it, Brian. It's the Amazing Fantasy 15 principle. You buy a comic book 50 years later, it's worth more money then your stock in Exxon. Happened to me, folks. It could happen to you. So Masterworks allows you to buy into these fine pieces of art. And when those pieces of art are sold or potentially stolen and sold on the black market in somewhere in Europe or Bangladesh, then you get a cut, a kickback, a piece of it. You're in the art business. And there's 330,000 members of Masterworks now because this stuff is taking off. So you can get priority access to Masterworks with my unique link. Are you ready to jot this down, Brian? Well, I have Mas the link. Well, you've got it. You don't have to jot it down. Masterworks.art, A-R-T, slash Jim. Masterworks.art, slash Jim. And you go there, you get priority access 
and you see all of the graphs and the the figures and the colors and the bars and the charts and the pie charts that prove whatever I just said is true. So you can see that right there on the fucking site. I told you the all the different terms they used and numbers. There's numbers all over this website, folks. So as I said, join the over 330,000 members making money in some fashion. Eventually with masterworks.art slash gym. See important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. All right. All righty, kids. Well, the week in wrestling, now that we've discussed uh, poor Claudio's uh, future plans in detail, the week in wrestling for both companies was Raw, NXT, and AEW Dynamite. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, three days in a row. Our senses were onslaughted. Is that a word, onslaughted? The victims of an onslaught. They were slaughtered on. Not sure about that. Our our senses were slaughtered on, is what they were. Uh, Raw on Monday, the opening segment, out comes Klondike Brock again. I'm not, I'm not getting tired of seeing him gimmick to the hilt in the, the lumberjack shirt or coat or whatever with the other thing underneath it and the jeans and the black cowboy hat and the the pigtails or the fucking all the different thing, and he's shaking children's hands and smiling. And he even, he was laughing and said to the people, thank you very kindly for his ovation. I appreciate it. What is with this new happy Brock? Has he been sipping out of happy Corbin's flask? You think? This is what happens when you get to work one day a week and fly home to Saskatchewan and <laughs> kill animals. You come back and you're very happy. I don't know. Working one day a week for millions of dollars, he might be smiling, but then having to fly back home to Saskatchewan. But I guess he does it on purpose. Anyway, before I get too used to Brock Lesnar laughing and smiling and hugging children, Heyman interrupts just in time. And he comes out and starts to do his introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is, but Brock cuts him off and shuts him up. And the people start chanting, you suck, you suck. And Paul, I liked, he said, the special counsel for the tribal chief does not suck. Apparently, the gist of this promo was to be that they're putting a lot of emphasis on the Madison Square Garden house show event. It's March the 5th. Same day my rest of my variant action figures go on sale at jimcornet.com. They're celebrating that occasion by having a big event at Madison Square Garden. And Brock was booked against Lashley, but now Lashley is hurt from the last time he was booked against Brock. So they want to plug the Madison Square Garden show because last time they were shooting deer in the balcony. And, you know, the, uh, the, Vince antipathy and Vince yes. panicked. Yeah. The the antipathy showed by the New York crowd has not been matched since they brought in Gorgeous George in 1949. So now they're wanting to plug this house show and now their main events tore up. So Paulie is out there with the point to make apparently that Lashley hasn't passed the medical and 
Paul Heyman is going to make sure that Brock has a great opponent at Madison Square Garden. And somehow Brock was supposed to respond to Paul that he's doing fine without Heyman and he's going to be in, in Hershey for SmackDown on Friday night when Paul and Reigns are there. But did, did you feel like there were two different conversations going on here and that Paul Heyman was not getting the the lines back from Brock that he was looking for in order to impart his information. So he had to kind of switch things up on the fly. I mean, Brock almost lost it at one point, but he got it back when he called Paul a dick, but otherwise it, it like, it was two different conversations. Was that just me? Maybe a little, I mean, usually speaking for Brock is Paul Heyman. So unless he was going to do a promo at himself, I don't know what else he was going to do. Brock, Brock does have some limitations. It's sometimes he just tries to speak and it just alien words come out. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it, it was it, okay. So basically what we know is that uh, they're all going to be at SmackDown Friday night. And again, where, where is the reasoning that they have two world champions because the networks want their own champion, but now they've got these guys bouncing back and forth between the shows all the time because they're if they're main event guys the network wants them i would think anyway there was some other malarkey on this program i skipped some of that and i got to the next thing that i wanted to see which was finn balor and tommaso champa against robert rude and dolph ziggler and i thought okay it's too late now for uh, robert rude and dolph ziggler in a vacuum without Rude's TNA history or the way he's been presented since he's been with the company, without Dolph's run where he was world champion at one point years ago, but has been there so long and they've got used to him and they've just, you know, this is where they are now. In a perfect world, in a vacuum, those two guys together could be the best heel tag team in the wrestling business. But that ship has sailed because of the way they've been presented for so long now, but I wanted to watch this to appreciate top talent also to see what's going on with Champa. They haven't screwed him up yet. So they start this tag match and they do two minutes of good stuff and they go to a break. Okay. They come back. They're getting heat on Champa. The fans don't care because it's WWE matches and those are meaningless. Neither team is pushed. Neither team is over. Um, Balor was big at one point, and he's fallen into disfavor. In a wrestling promotion, with a with both with proper tag team gimmicks and a main event push, these guys could set any fucking promotion on fire in the ring and probably verbally as well, because Dolph can talk, and so can fucking Champa. But they go another two minutes, do simultaneous cold tags. Balor makes comeback on Rude. They go into a four-way, do some back and forth. And Tommaso wins with a sunset flip on Rude, one, two, three. Four incredible talents that look like athletes. No push, little story, and a throwaway match with five minutes over two segments. Mm. And the two of these four guys 
tore the house down the following night on the different program presented by the same company. Those fans cared a little more. It's context and presentation. Anyway, speaking of presentation, uh, did you have any thought on that match that I just glossed over quickly? I don't have too much more to add to that. Good, because the big part's coming up that we were presented to Ms. TV. Yeah, Ms. So who was it? Punk called MJF a less talented Ms. Right. I think Ms. is a less believable MJF. He does kind of the same thing. Only he's actually been lucky enough to leech off the wrestling business and sucker the people in the WWE and to pay him a fortune of money for the last 15 years or whatever. So he's got the reality show and a big house and a wife and he travels all over the world, etc. But he's doing a sports entertainment promo. And I just feel MJF more than I feel Miz. Miz is playing a role. MJF seems like he really is that dick. Yeah. And also, it's because we've seen Miz doing this for 15 years now, and I never liked it to begin with. But the fans, he says, relate better to Rey Mysterio because he's a loser and they're losers and blah, blah, blah. But did you notice this whole reason that this was out there and some of this verbiage happened? Because they wanted to tease Cody. And I bet you that it was not because they were yanking the fans' chains, so to speak, as much about as to what whether they just wanted to see what would happen if they did. Think about it that way. Miz has found a new tag team partner uh, to go against the Mysterios with him. And he comes from a, rest, a fighting family. And he's a, you know, a celebrity, whatever, he, a couple of other things. He's dashing. Did you hear anybody in the crowd go, ooh, or a big pop or a rumble or a ripple or anything? You heard maybe a little bit, but I don't know how many of those fans there picked up on what he was doing, but I also don't know if he was really delivering those lines for those fans. Well, I'm telling you, I know how they work, and I think they might have said, go out there and drop it, just see what happens in front of our people. And yes, there there was a little, there was a murmur, but in in an AEW crowd, that line would have fucking blown up. Absolutely, 100%. Because they're they're the smartest of the smart, and they're looking for that kind of shit. So that tells me that perhaps this does not bode well in terms of the WWE crowd, apparently is not as salivating at the opportunity to see Dashing Cody or Cody in this tease like it would be if it was going the other way around. I think maybe they said, oh, go and... Tease that, let's just see what the people do. It was not a big reaction. There's still two definite fan bases and camps as relates to the supporters of these companies. Anyway, so here comes Mysterio and Dominic out now to interrupt this. And does Dominic, does anybody look more uncomfortable and out of place? I just... He tried to speak. It was rehearsed. He looks about 14 facially. It just, I, 
I know that it's hard when you're getting pushed like that, that early, et cetera, but he does not seem comfortable. And he, let's put it this way. He does not have the second generation genes of old Bronson Bronsteiner. It just doesn't look natural to me. And did also, did you pick up on this, Brian, that Ray Mysterio said, well, that outsider can go back to where he came from and give the WrestleMania spot to somebody who deserves it before Miz had actually said it wasn't actually a wrestler. As if they were told backstage to go test this out and see what kind of reaction you're going to get. <laughs> so anyway, um, Miz finally says no, because my partner is going to be social media megastar Logan Paul. So now it's an accomplishment to be a social media megastar. Hey, I got to be honest with you. He's a bigger star than all three of those other guys. Well, no, no pun intended, but yes, he is. Because as soon as he came down there, the first thing I wrote down was he's as big as both Mysterios put together. <laughs> he looks more like a wrestler than every single, including the Miz, than all of them. I know. I'm thinking about you because I've seen clips of him and his brother doing the boxing stuff or whatever and they're on youtube and i could give two french fried titty fucks right but i didn't realize he was a giant or was it just the people because dom's full grown isn't he well i guess he was same height as the miz what's the miz 511 so yeah so logan paul here he comes he looks like goddamn andre and Dominic calls him a jackass, and I thought at that point I thought they're mistaking their celebrity crossovers. But he accepted the challenge for the tag match, and then the heels just jumped on the Mysterios and just beat him up, and continued to beat him up, and kept beating him up, and with impunity, giving the Logan Paul gives one Miz's move and. And then Miz gives him his, nobody tried to help. Nobody tried to stop it. It went on forever. And the, the, both Mysterios just went down from the broad arm from behind and stayed down for the whole, they didn't fight back. So the, the Miz physically unintimidating as he is, and his giant celebrity boxing partner just kicked the shit out of these two baby faces and left them laying there. and celebrated about it and not only could the Mysterios do nothing but nobody gave a shit to try to come and break it up boy I want to see that match do you I don't want to see the match I will say though and again this is one of those things where I know you don't follow this stuff but Logan Paul is a pretty big star amongst people when you say people who you know follow social media every kid you know everyone's on Snapchat and TikTok it's the big thing Oh, don't say those words like you know what they mean. Well, my kids are on them all day. I do know what they mean. Uh, but he's a big star to them. He's a bigger star than all of the wrestlers, including Mysterio, in there to the general public. <laughs> he seems like he's into it. He is obviously athletic. He has a little bit of credibility because him and his brother have been challenging fighters and boxers and all sorts <laughs> of people. And clearly he's over, what was he, 6'2", six, 6'3"? Six, he's a big guy. Gotta be. There's something to be done with him. And it's funny, all these celebrities are coming in. They're taking it more seriously than the wrestlers. Bad Bunny, <laughs> whatever you want to say about him, the guy's doing stuff. He's training. He's trying. He's a little bigger than some of the guys there. Now this guy. <laughs> he's, a, he's bigger than Reggie, I guess. 
I think they should get rid of the wrestlers and just start hiring celebrities. Wouldn't that be so much easier for their business model? Just fire all the wrestlers or release them. They're not employees and hire celebrities who are just looking to do something on TV. <sighs> you know, you didn't say it was a bad idea. I, well, I, I think that's what they're doing. And I honestly don't know who needs the most help, Brian. I don't know whether it's the writers of this stuff for thinking people want to see it or whether it's the viewers of this stuff that need somebody to talk to after they finish watching it. But they're, they're spreading depression and dejection with this programming. Who can we talk to, Brian, about this? Who can we talk to when the WWE is spreading dejection and depression? Yes. I think in a situation like that, you don't just need help. You need better help. We need better help than we've been getting. And that's why you go to the folks that will give you better help. And those are the people at BetterHelp.com. Folks, if there's something interfering with your happiness, like watching wrestling on television, if there's something preventing you from achieving your goals, like watching wrestling and talking about wrestling is preventing me from eating my peanut butter blossoms, BetterHelp, no matter what your problem, will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. Professional therapy done securely online with a broad range of expertise. And it's available worldwide. From Maine to Spain, Bangor to Bangladesh. Wherever you are, you can log into your account anytime, send messages to your therapist, and schedule weekly video or phone sessions. No uncomfortable waiting rooms. If you're in an uncomfortable chair, it's your fault you're in your own house. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matchups. It's easy and free to change therapists if you need, and it's more affordable than traditional offline therapy because BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. If you get off social media and stop watching wrestling, that's a good start. But visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. When you go to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com slash J-C-E, you're going to get 10% off your first month's services, BetterHelp.com slash J-C-E. That's a special offer for just my poor beleaguered listeners that need somebody to talk to after watching all this confusing programming that we have to see every week. Well, there was certainly more WWE programming. It did not end with Ms. TV, sadly. Oh, it never ends. There's always more. More of the WWE. It never stops. It's like a, a gerbil on a, on a treadmill or a spinning wheel. I guess the treadmill was over at Echelon. Do they have gerbils? You I remember the, the news anchor in Philly back in the 80s that was accused of being immoral with a gerbil? I thought that was Richard Gere. Well, no, that was him. That, that was actually him too. But there was a news anchor, Dennis Corluzzo and Frank Chili smartened me up to this. He was hounded out of town. Was it John Clark? No, it was not John Clark. He wasn't on the <laughs> John Clark wasn't on the news. What he did with gerbils was none of our affair. It was a uh, uh, a guy named Jerry. He had an Italian name. Somebody's going to fill me in on this. The 
rumors were so rampant about his anal cavity being the home of a gerbil that he had to leave the television news business in Philly and, and move elsewhere. <laughs> right. How did we get started there? I don't know how we maybe, researched that either. Maybe it's because the writers of NXT have got something crawled up their ass that won't leave, and they've decided to take it out on all of us. Yeah, th- again, there was a few things on NXT I wanted to see, and I tuned in for that, and I'll give you the high points of the other stuff. Um, The opening segment, basically, they've now, Dolph Ziggler and, and Robert Roode, since they are immaculate workers and complete professionals, but they have botched their their public personas up to where they're meaningless on their program, so they're sending them to NXT so they can work with the green talent and try to teach them on-the-job training. So there was old Rex Bronsteiner in the ring promo with the NXT title belt, first segment. He's got good oomph. I, I can, He's more comfortable in the ring doing physical stuff than he is talking, but still, for this level of experience, he's great at talking. He can be a little more confident. Uh, but he sounds like a grown man. He gets a little hawk tone. Have you noticed that? Like hawk would do. Every once in a while, tell him, animal. <laughs> I guess little so, yeah. Hawk tone, he sounds kind of like his dad, too. But Ziggler interrupts and comes out in Ziggler's smooth verbally, right? And he makes a challenge to old uh, Rex Bronsteiner for the the big show they've got in April, WrestleMania weekend. I guess they're going to just work these all these guys, the production people, like 24 hours a day for four days in a row. They've got two nights of WrestleMania. They've got a SmackDown. They've got a Hall of Fame. And they've got a Raw all in town in four days. Anyway, uh, Dolph starts getting on him and did you see did you see this program by the way was your was your power on for this i had my power i watched most of nxt i watched most of nxt and raw this week just because of your reviews oh well (laughs) don't blame blame you i blame you but i liked it when steiner jumped in and said hey i guess uh fucking ziggler knocked his outfit Ed Steiner fired up and said, they don't pay me to dress up. They pay me to kick ass. I don't know if that was written. If it was, he delivered it like an ad lib. But anyway, this was just some verbal interaction, nothing earth shaking. But tonight, Dolph Ziggler's in the main event against Tommaso Ciampa. And he barred Braun, barred Braun Breaker from ringside. Because he's got that power, evidently. I don't know. I mean, it's a good interview segment. I like watching anything that Steiner's involved in because, I mean, you can just tell, as we've said, barring any kind of unforeseen issue, he's going to be one of the biggest stars in the business. And he continues to not embarrass himself or anybody else when he's put in positions that guys with a lot more experience sometimes botch up. Yeah. Your 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 thoughts? I like him on the mic because he sounds like Scott. And, you know, he's one of the highlights of the show. I, I really like Braun Breaker. I hate the name, but I like Braun Breaker. Well, I, li- I like it that you talked long enough so I could mute my microphone and open my Sprite can. And I apologize for being a little distracted, but I was researching Jerry and the gerbil here, which apparently 
is a major urban myth in Philadelphia. Jerry, yes. I would, would you think I was lying? Why did I thought maybe it was just something Dennis and Frank Chili were no. talking about. I didn't realize it was something that swept the greater Philadelphia area. It was a big goddamn deal. What was the guy's last name? Jerry Penicoli. Penicoli. That's right. And it was Italian. You can never trust those Italians around their gerbils. Well, don't say that. And Dennis was the one telling you the story, and he was Italian. Well, right there. <laughs> that ought to tell you something. Oh, stop it. Anyway, so <laughs> next on it, but Jerry Pinnacoli. And that was it's a big deal up there in Philly, right? Especially with people of a certain age. It's it swept the entire city. It was, it was gerbil mania. The guy <laughs> couldn't fucking show his face, and God, his face was on the side of every bus in town, their nightly news news banner, and they'd draw gerbils on it. That really, that really sucks, though, just because I'm looking at various things, and apparently it's an urban myth, but for that to follow you around, yeah. the entire oh, town thinks you left because of the gerbil. <laughs> he, was, he was run out of Philly with a gerbil up his ass, was Jerry Pinnacoli. Is, is he still alive? What happened to him? Jerry Pinnacoli? Uh, hold on, this bio was translated so this is better than anything you're going to see on nxt folks jerry Penacoli, born july 9th 1956 is an american actor and entertainment reporter and served as a host with the u.s syndicated magazine show extra for 20 years before going national <laughs> before going national with gerbil love no before going national <laughs> Penacoli served as a newscaster and talk show host in several markets, starting in Jacksonville, Florida, then Miami, where Jerry served as the host of PM Magazine in the early 1980s, and then Philadelphia. He was the evening news anchor for the Philadelphia TV station KYW-TV, an NBC affiliate at the time, from the mid-80s until he moved to New York City in 1990. So I guess that would have been around the time you heard the rumor. Well, what does it say was the... uh... The instigation for him to leave, does it mention the the beleaguered gerbil? The- There's nothing about gerbils on Wikipedia, but it does say that he worked on the tabloid show Hard Copy from 1996 to 1999. He was also the first male host of Lifetime's Attitudes with Linda Dano. I don't know what that is. Prior to Warner Brothers, his broadcasting career included stints at E! Entertainment Television where he hosted the Entertainment Network's live coverage of premieres and events, and Paramount Television. He also co-hosted Richard Simmons' Dream Maker. All right, what about Little Jerry? Jerry the Gerbil. Get to to that. I don't see anything in Wikipedia, but if I go to Jerry and the Gerbil, uh, Jerry Pinnacoli was in a Baltimore hospital after a gerbil died. See, we don't know... (laughs) <laughs> what? Well, just read what it says. We're grown adults. We can make up our own minds. For those that don't know, back in the early 1980s, a Philadelphia news anchor was caught in a Baltimore hospital with a dead gerbil in his rectum. In Wikipedia, they claim it's an urban legend. However, I remember quite clearly when Philadelphia news legend Jack Jones, the first black news anchor in Philadelphia, reported on KYW3 News that Jerry Penacoli was in a Baltimore hospital after a gerbil died in his rectum from a cocaine overdose. Wait, what? <laughs> the gerbil no. died of a cocaine overdose in his ass. <laughs> I wasn't aware. 
I thought the gerbil, I thought the gerbil just died of asphyxiation. Get you know, asphyxiation? I wasn't aware that the gerbil was down there doing lines. After the incident, Jerry was demoted to Channel 3, and when his contract was up, it was not renewed. Soon after the incident is when all the fake Richard Gere stories started. Oh, those were fake, but Pinnacoli, he had a cocaine-addicted gerbil up his orifice. Everybody could believe that. I can't even imagine having fun with a gerbil like that. It just seems like a really bad idea, especially if it's coked up. Well, you got to declaw them, Brian. You've got to, that's, I'll tell you what, that's very important. They've got to be declawed. And also, if you'll hold them down and pull their little teeth. <laughs> yeah, good luck cutting the nails of someone high on coke. <laughs> well, they don't like it much. But you got to pull their little teeth and declaw them. And then, especially if you get a fuzzy one. But try not to eat chocolate for at least 48 hours beforehand. I have to say, this is the most memorable NXT review we've ever done so far on the show. <laughs> well, let's get back to the program. <laughs> Jerry Pinnacoli will be hosting NXT next week. So after we got huh, the uh, opening interview, Grayson Waller beat L.A. Knight. Uh, next week, it'll be Howie, the mailroom guy, beating L.A. Knight. And boy, does he look like a wrestler. And I haven't seen him in a while, but... He's in shape. He looks like a wrestler, and he loses. Yeah. So they, so they treat him like a wrestler too, actually. Yeah, yeah. They treat him. They beat all their wrestlers. Uh, Wendy Chu is still sleepy. Uh, you notice that? Um, they had a girls tag team match play. Uh, did you notice that now? The the goddamn uh. Briggs and Stratton, they had was no. Wait a minute, that that was after that was afterwards. Because I was I was going to say all of these people are socially awkward, but the girls tag match. Remember, what's her name? Jesus Christ, uh, the one that's in love with Loomis, Indy Hartwell. Indy Hartwell, yeah, was was adopted by the Gargano family. But then they're gone, so now she's in a tag team with Persia Parada. But there's some fucking clown, Duke Hudson, I think, that Persia came up and just laid a big kiss on because she thinks he looks so hot. But then Indy sees it and goes, what are you doing? And Persia runs off because Indy apparently used to have a thing for Duke, but now she hates him. But now Duke was there with lipstick on him and he's talking to Indy and then the camera pans over and there's Dexter Loomis, the boyfriend who just puts his head down and walks off and Indy says, oh, it's not that way, Dexter. This is fucking bad romantic drama for eight-year-olds, isn't it? I guess yeah. they don't care when they're eight. Well, they're 12, 12, 11 and 12. Uh, after the girls tag, Dante I, I, Chin got beat up by old Duke Hudson for a while. What were you going to say? I just want to say that I was still researching the, um, the issue here at hand. <laughs> at hand or at, at bottom. And I found an article called the complete history of gerbiling so far 
<laughs> you know what? This is better than NXT. Fuck it. Go ahead. Give me a complete history of gerbiling. Well, I don't want to do the whole history because it's a very long history of gerbiling. <laughs> and although I am a historian, I don't know if I want to go deep into this. world we have not been aware of. Uh, well, give me the give me the the Cliff's notes. Well, I did find one specific paragraph that I bumped into while looking at this, and here's what it says: In 1990, a piece titled "The Trouble with Gerbils." ran in the LGBT publication The Advocate. In it, media critic Catherine Sipe mentions a TV weatherman from Wichita, Rick Siegel, who was pressured into resigning from his job because of gerbiling rumors. Gerbiling! Scant consolation to Siegel, but he wasn't the first newscaster (laughs) He wasn't the first newscaster to be so afflicted. In the early 80s, as is recounted here in Link, a Philadelphia KYW newscaster named Jerry Pancoli suffered career damage after a rumor started that he visited a local emergency room to have a gerbil removed from his colon. You see, that's misleading because I think this person's leaving out the fact that the gerbil was addicted to drugs. Yes, it wasn't local. Baltimore is 100 miles from Philadelphia. <laughs> So, and, and it really, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of people addicted to drugs and wake up in a place they don't know how they got there or what they're doing there. It doesn't mean it had to be Jerry Pinnacoli's fault. He could have been asleep on a park bench with no pants on and his fucking ass cheeks spread out as wide as possible. And the gerbil comes along down the street, minding its own business, snorting cocaine, and just decides, well, that looks like a fucking checkers drive through I need to go in and get some French fries. And boom. I found another article here from the from the website Rectal Foreign Bodies. <laughs> That's a way to make sure. Is there any spelling or underscores on that rectal foreign bodies? We want to get that. Get, make that a popular site. A candid discussion of gerbils. And other things people reportedly cram hopelessly up their ass. <laughs> and the first line of the article is, medical science is still unsure why men stick foreign objects up their ass. <laughs> uh, I just want to see if there's anything here about Jerry. Uh, kind of the same thing as it had over there. It says that it did a lot of damage to his career, as you would think it would when people like Dennis and Frank Chile are walking around town spreading that story everywhere they go. And not to mention the damage to the digestive tract. But <laughs> nevertheless, we'll continue. Trick. You remember Trick? He's about Trick. it. Trick's about it, about it. Well, he <laughs> Hairless Grimes was his uh, opponent. Now you've seen... You oh thought my I was lying God. to you, right? You know what? I wasn't paying close attention to this match and a lot of the show I had on mute. And I looked up and saw him wrestle. I didn't even realize it was Grimes when I watched. Because I didn't watch closely. I just looked. I thought he was, Trick was just wrestling some guy. I didn't realize who it was. Well, that's what he looks like now is some guy. They've shaved him and did the, the Samson and Delilah effect, but with body hair. It now... <laughs> There's no look. It's just, uh, uh, he can still work. But the, and, and this is another thing. He's been on television over the last year and a half consistently 
but never in any kind of consistent presentation. He is a country boy. was broke. Then he won a lot of money of the Bitcoin or the fucking GameStop. Then he was a heel, but then he was a baby face. Then he was taken up for Ted DiBiase. And then he, now he shaved his body and he's changed clothing multiple times. And uh, there was something there and they've, they've fiddle fucked around with it so much that it's just about all gone. But yeah, I mean, and apparently he's got no melatonin in his fucking bloodstream or skin or whatever it is. And melatonin or melanin or whatever the case. Melatonin uh, is what you take to go to sleep, isn't it? Okay. Well, no, you take NXT to go to sleep, <laughs> but whatever, get some color. If you're going to shave a body that has not seen the sunlight in since you hit pubescence, Get a fake tan or something, but I don't know why they've done this to him. Probably because 12-year-old girls wouldn't fantasize about snuggling up in his chest rug or something. Because this whole show is aimed at, you know, prepubescent people of all kinds. Or just stupid people. Just really stupid people. But yeah, so now Grimes is... uh. Another on our casualty list, right? They've taken all the special off of him. When do you think he'll hit AEW? You know what? I'd, uh, he'd I don't be, know he'd be a good fit if, if he grew his hair back. Well, that's the thing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they could fuck him up, except that potentially he would be both a better wrestler and funnier than the Hardly Boys and their gang, and they'd probably get pissed about that. Because they, they don't mind people being better wrestlers, but somebody tries to be funnier than they are, they don't like that. All right. We might as well get to it. The debut that everyone is talking about, that you forced, you said, but you're not going to tell me anything, just make sure you watch it. Nikita Lyons. Well, what I did say was, you're either going to go, eh, this is ridiculous, or you're going to say, I'm in love. <laughs> I think that's what I said. I think I think I'm in love with the ridiculousness. I think this may be my Jane Cargill. I think it I don't know what they're trying to do here, but they're trying hard. Her interview and since they've been talking about her and, and or showing vignettes, whatever, the backstory, they've just given it's like some fucking 20 something year old writer or possibly some 60 something year old white guy that thinks that they know what young people do. Unlike me, who is firmly aware that I don't know what young people do and am not interested in finding out. This is like a potpourri of backstories and gimmicks. Her father was a rock star and her mother was a groupie and she sings but when she was singing the other day, she was singing rap. I wonder if her father, the rock star, is disappointed the way she strayed. Uh, but she was a rapper. But she speaks in catchphrases. She's a fighter. She gets in fights. But we, we're we not sure whether she's a karate master, a pro wrestler, a boxer. Um, <laughs> Her promo, a whole lot of woman ready to do a whole lot of whooping. 
Are you ready for this lion's roar? She speaks in catchphrases. Her gear is, besides the fact that her gear, her outfit has reflects not a singer or a rapper or a wrestler or a karate guy or a catchphraser, but it looks like a rib to accentuate. Let's just put it this way. She's not fat. But she's a little broad in the beam. And it looks like they tried to bastion booger her. She's got a full bodysuit except for cutouts on the side to make her ass look wider. And the way that it's done up in the front, it's like they're trying to constrict her bosoms because she had a little bitty Shirley Temple looking fit and coat on when she came in the ring, which also accentuated her long legs and that the fact that her bottom half is a tad bigger than her top half. And she's doing karate moves before <laughs> she's introduced. She's doing the whole wow and spin kicks. <laughs> it's awesome. And I mean, it's like it's umpteen gimmicks and umpteen catchphrases and umpteen backstories and nobody's working harder than she is she's trying to get all that shit over where did she come from if this was her wrestling debut in front of people and she's never wrestled before this was great if she's wrestled before in front of people it still wasn't bad but i'm not Obviously, as you can tell, sure about what the fuck this gimmick is. And it it seems like they're trying so hard to tell us that she's a star that, as Mama Cornette, Mama Cornette used to say, I think thou protests too much. And isn't this kind of, except for the, for the catchphrases and the karate fighting, they did the same thing with poor... Taya Valkyrie. What was her name? I forgot her name already. Frankie Monet. Frankie Monet. <laughs> he gave her vignettes. She's the biggest thing in the world. World beater comes in, boom, beats one person. We don't see her anymore. I, so apparently, Nikita Lyons, her real name is Faith Jeffries. She's 22 years old and she was trained by Selena Majors, also known as Bambi. Ha! Huh? And then she debuted for World of Wrestling a couple years ago, or a few years ago, and then she signed with WWE not too long back in 2021. Bambi was one of the better girls in the business. Yeah. uh, At one time. And I'm not saying she's old, but she was one of my contemporaries. Uh, So, okay, if Bambi trained her, that explains why it looked like she kind of knew what she was doing. I'm assuming Bambi did not give her this gimmick. You know, the... The work wasn't bad except the the spin kicks. That that one spin kick she hit this girl with. Her girl's name is Kayla Inlay. They should have just called her already in ring because that's what she was and everybody knew what she was there for. But one of those wild-ass spin kicks, it didn't look like that girl was anticipating its arrival with too much excitement. But then she was, when she made her comeback, Nikita Lyons, she did Muay Thai knees that never connected, and then suddenly a fucking shot to the solar plexus dropped her, so now she's a boxer. Then she fired up like a shamrock and did the kicks, and then did a German suplex and a nip-up, a spin kick to the head, 
And the split leg drop where she just put her ass in this girl's face. Boom, one, two, three. And she stood up and she's more sway back than Sunny Kiss. Is, was she posing like that or does she have severe scoliosis? I, I don't know what the, I'm intrigued. What is going on here? As, as they say on Always Sunny, what is happening? She ain't bad in the ring. She's got all kinds of attitude and some oomph. She's got, as we mentioned, 27 backstories and a gimmick and an outfit that I'm not sure what the fuck's going on there. What are your impressions and thoughts? <laughs> My impressions and thoughts are I can't wait to see more. If you want to give me a reason to watch NXT, Nikita Lyons is one of those reasons. <laughs> Calling her their Jade Cargill is very interesting and maybe really correct. And maybe that's how you could enjoy her early on. But she has more potential for a star, despite not knowing what she is or what that gimmick is or what she's wearing, than just about every single girl we've seen in NXT. She's got size. Yeah. She can move. When she did that finish, you heard the sounds of men across the country falling in love. <laughs> I heard the sound of all the air leaving Miss Inlay's body, too. There's something there. I took my TV off mute and stopped and watched that match. Because, again, you can kind of, part of it was you making fun of it, but part of it is you've never, she was working and moving in a way that was rather unique. But that's what kind of caused me to watch it. What is she doing in there? What are these kicks and everything else? Yeah, you know, again, presentation is the key. I think she's very talented. I think they've got something there, and she's all the way committed to it, and oomph, and she's in it. Um. I would, I'd put her in a little more attractive outfit and I'd try to give her one catchphrase a week, maybe instead of just the whole onslaught all at the same time. It was very, it, I just think that people can tell when you're trying too hard as a, not as a wrestler, I'm not saying she was trying too hard. They're trying too hard to convince us that she's the second coming of Mildred Burke before we've even seen her. And it's just, it's a lot all at the same time. The the kicking and the spinning and the outfit and the whole nine yards. But there's something there. We'll figure it out. I'm intrigued. You know, like NXT, now you have her, you have Braun Breaker. There's at least two people on that show I actually do want to see how they develop. So that's a good sign in terms of making people care about your show. Well, you know what it was followed up with, don't you? I don't remember. The Creed Brothers and Malcolm Bivens are fussing with Imperium and Valter Gunner. And I mean, I'm already, I'm going to ring the bell on Valter at this point because uh, it's obvious they don't realize what the fuck they got. They have brought this guy to the United States and they're putting him in six man tags or in six man situations or against the diamond mine of Malcolm Bivens, the two, the creeds, a lot of potential greener than chlorophyll. Imperium would be great as stooges for Valter, but not if Valter's going to be involved in their, I mean, there's clear delineation. Roman Reigns doesn't go out in the Usos business with whoever and, you know, Otis or whoever. And, and, fucking wring his hands over Otis, it should be they're his stooges, not he's involving himself in their activity. They get in a fucking dust up with 
the creeds, Imperium does, old Marcel and Fabian. And Volter's going after Malcolm Bivens, and here comes Solo Sokoa. Again, we said he looked good, like Sailor Moore of him, badass Samoan, but he lays Volter out with one kick. Boom, dead, done. Again, the Volter, the beast that we saw against Elia that had the greatest match of this or maybe any other recent year uh, that is obviously money in a picture with people like Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley and poor Samoa Joe, who's gone to the old wrestler's home now, I guess, and guys like that, and he's skirmishing with the underneath green guys and being knocked out with one kick and laying there. And also, he's a baby face. The fucking, the green heels and the green heel manager are the heels and Valter's a baby face? Wait, wait, you, interesting. I was, I took it as Imperium and Walter were the heels. What? And Malcolm Bivens, I guess it doesn't make any sense, but when I was watching it. no. Number one, the heel manager that's a little fucking shit-stirring chicken shit, whoever side he's on should give you some idea of who the heels are. And secondly, Volter was man-to-man facing Malcolm Bivens down, and the Samoan jumped him from behind. So he, uh, anyway, there, there was Volter. Thanks for coming to the United States of America, Volter. We really appreciate it. Uh, okay, Briggs and Stratton. Did you see the filming of the dating app? I saw parts of it and I stopped watching this part. Apparently, Stratton can't get laid in a whorehouse with a fistful of 50s. Couldn't get a pussy on a troop train, or couldn't sell pussy on a troop train, rather. Is totally socially inept. And so he he's filming, Briggs, his partner, is filming a fucking thing for the dating app that he's going to be on to meet girls. And, and then one of the other girls comes in and says, oh, here's how you do it, real easy, boom, boom, boom. So basically, these guys, we've seen, seen them wrestle. They've got all the potential in the world. And they aren't bad workers. So now the... Brain Trust is making them two immature goofs that even though they're easily in their early 20s, can't get laid and have to get on the internet searching for fucking girls when they're currently on goddamn television nationwide. I don't, I know the wrestling business has changed in a lot of ways, but goddamn, I remember when guys as young as them or even younger that were on local TV on fucking WTVW Channel 7 in Evansville, Indiana. They could get pussy coming out their fucking ears and didn't have to get on the internet with a dating app. These guys have potential, so instead of making them badass southern ass kickers, they're going to be immature goofs that can't get laid unless they get on the internet because nobody knows who they are because they're not stars, even though they're on this national television program. So let's bury them right off the start. What the fuck? 
And the writers are men. I understand if everybody from shit stain on down couldn't write for women because they weren't women, but you're men and now you can't write for men. You don't know what makes men think that other men are a big bunch of fucking pussies. Remember when Steve Austin had needed help getting on that dating app, Brian? And The Rock had to come over and take the picture for him because he just couldn't figure out how to talk to women. Well, Briggs and Stratton know Austin and Rock. Well, neither of these writers are no Austin and Rock either. And I, I can't even imagine. Does Bruce still have something to do with this? I would guess so. He must have lost his fucking mind by this point. By this point. By this point. Then they had another girls tag team match, Playa. Another one. And then finally, the match that we were waiting for, Dolph Ziggler and Tommaso Ciampa. And instantly, you can tell that these guys are at a different level than everybody else on the show. Either because of their experience level, because they're conditioning, because they're taking things seriously, they know what the fuck's going on. Their work is crisp, their facials and their body language, they're aggressive. And uh, again, you know, it, it's just, it's even more noticeable now because of the greenness of everybody else on this show when they just gutted their developmental program and decided to just push people before they were ready to be seen like this. So anyway, they started late. It was like 12 till before they got started. They took a break at like five minutes till the top of the hour. Even though they did a little bit of, of an overrun, but still that took me out of it. But every once in a while, Tommaso would make a comeback if they had to go to the break spot. But when they'd come back, they'd settled it down. Ziegler was getting heat again. But these guys are great, and they always do the shit that they should do. Tommaso, finally, as they after they'd gone back and forth, hit his, used to call it Project Champa. I can't remember what they call it now, but the power bomb onto the knees. Uh, for a close two count. And I, I couldn't believe he was doing that move 10 years ago when he'd had a major ACL reconstruction before that. Um, then he did a big knee lift and Ziggler got a leg on the ropes just in the nick of time. The people start chanting fight forever, which is, as we've mentioned, stupid, but at least they were into it. And then, you know, Ziggler shoved champ into the post, hit the zigzag on the floor, rolls him in. Tries to beat him, but he misses a super kick. But Champa's arm is hurt. So as Ziggler gets the sleeper, Champa finally stands up underneath him, hits him with a backsplash, two count. Then they roll to the apron, and Tommaso gave, again, I don't know what they call it, but it's Rico Constantino's old finish, on the apron, which was extenuous extenuating under that circumstance that they didn't need it, but he rolled him in trying to fucking beat him. And from behind one of the floor cameramen dressed all in black. This has never happened before. Nails Champa with the camera and Ziggler hits the super kick one, two, three, and then the cameraman unmasks and it's Robert Rude. And you know, the first time that that was done, that was cool. But now is it a shock? How many times have we seen that in the last couple of years alone? Too many times. But anyway, they get more heat on Champa. 
And then Steiner comes in and makes a save, and he challenges next week for a tag team match or find your balls and fight right now. And the heels are like, okay, and they come in, hit the ring, big four-way, big fight, six or eight referees comes in, we got chaos, that's the way to go off the air. That was the best, besides the finish, which is a little overdone, the best match on either Raw or NXT or AEW. The best in-ring match and the best, actually the best angle because it looked like a fight and some chaos and the people running around trying to stop it. It actually looked like a wrestling angle. So I thought that was the best piece of business over in that respect over all three nights. And it was with two of the four guys that on Raw in front of a bigger crowd got less time and nobody gave a shit. Because of the difference in the presentation and the fan base and or the taste of the two programs, of of the fans of the two programs. But, you know, it just, it's amazing that one night you can have these guys that are so good and whatever they do, it doesn't mean anything because of the way it's being presented. And the next night they can go out and tear the house down because of the way it's being presented. Your thoughts. Can't add too much to it. It was nice seeing the main event because they had intensity from the get-go. And although NXT has all these colors and everything, I actually like the way the ring is positioned when you watch a match. It's kind of really close to the ring and really close to the action. If you can get away from all the colorfulness, it actually looks really good. You know, it's just it's just sad that guys like Ziggler and Rude have to do this to be used in any way that's respectable. But at least they're working with guys who are capable, like a Tommaso Ciampa, or we would think a Braun Breaker, about to say Braun Steiner. Braun, Braun Rex Breaker Steiner. One last thing I'll say that has nothing to do with NXT, but you brought up Rico Constantino before. The other day, because one of my daughters, I just bought her a new TV that had like a built-in service with various different free channels, and one of them had American Gladiators. So we were going to show the kids, oh, me and Suzanne, like, oh, this is what used to be on when we were kids. This was on after wrestling. Yeah. Episode one was the first person I see, Rico Constantino. <laughs> and I was telling him, like, I know who this guy is. He worked for Jim. But that was the first episode we picked. Just happened to be Rico Constantino. Yeah, and uh, boy, he was a can't-miss prospect until they got a hold of him. He looked like a star there. I mean, that's like 1990, yeah. 91. That was 10 years before you were with him or nine years before you were with him. Yeah, he looked like a star on American Gladiators. He looked like a star in OVW. He looked like a star everywhere. He got on WWF television. He had all that hair. And then he didn't. <sighs> and then he didn't. But at least he was never run out of town for mistreatment of a gerbil. But, you know, the <laughs> NXT has parts of a show there. It has all the parts that of a show, but not put together in the right place because they've still got malfunctioning parts, the parts that don't work right. Oh, I see what you're doing. You see what I'm doing here. So yeah, I was going to go with NXT makes you want to throw a rock through a window, but no, 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 no. See, it's the wrong kind of rock. Maybe the right kind of window, but to be a rock and not to roll, you got to call the people at rock auto. Cause they got all <laughs> the parts that your car will ever need. Even if they don't have parts for your wrestling promotion, they got parts for your car, folks, and that's just like NXT. If you've got something that needs a few parts to be complete, you can't call a wrestling store. That's impossible. They don't have those. 
Not anymore, but you can call or actually get on the internet. Don't call them. That's old fashioned. That's, that's old time terminology. Get online, rockauto.com, and you can find all the parts that your car or truck or vehicle will ever need. I don't know if they have parts for motorbikes or if they have parts for speedboats or if they have parts for, well, that thing that had the floppy wings that they, in the old silent movies that they used to pedal, it was like a bicycle with a helicopter thing on it. I don't know if they have parts for that, but if you've got a car or a truck or something you drive around the city streets every day, chances are they got the parts for that. And they're low-priced parts, not high-priced parts. That's what you're going to find at these chain stores. At these chain stores, all of these low-class clerks that can't get a job at rockauto.com, they congregate there trying to push off their substandard merchandise on you, whether you need it or not. At those chain stores, you know they've only got seven different car parts in stock, Brian. Did you know that? I did not know that, no. I read that on the internet. All those parts stores, the brick and mortar stores, they've only got seven different parts in storage. And every time you ask for one, they go in the back and bring another one out. And when you get past seven, they start again. They think you've forgotten that you've already seen that part. Not with rockauto.com. They've got thousands of parts, millions of parts, because they've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. And after 20 years, you would think they'd gotten rid of all those parts, but they've still got more. And you can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. I didn't even know they had body parts too, as well as auto parts. So get your, get your engines and your motors and your gas tanks and also get your legs and your no, arms, no, no. your Th- fingers. There are no body parts. There is no black market. It says market. right here, auto and body parts. Body of the car, not body of the body. Oh, never mind. Folks, they've got engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. So I guess that'd be for your house also. You could put auto carpet in your house, couldn't you? Why would you do that? Well, I guess you could if you wanted to. It's not for me to say, and it's not for the folks at Rock Auto to say (laughs) what you're going to do with the stuff that you buy from them. If you buy auto carpet and put it in your home, if you buy a engine control module and put it in an automatic dittilator Mach 3 dildo machine it, it's 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 up to you it's your what? the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer you can pick prices you prefer i'm not saying they'll accept your offer but you can pick them Try your best. See what happens. Worst thing they can say is, fuck you. We need more money. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write JCE in their how did you hear about us box so the cheap bastards will at least know we sent you even if they're not giving you a discount. No, no, no. They're not cheap bastards and you will get a really, really great price for all your auto parts. Well, you'll get a great price, but you won't get a discount just for writing JCE in the how did you hear about us box because their prices are already so low they can't reduce them any. Yes. Yes. Well, I'll quit while I'm ahead then. Amazing (laughs) selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Well, Brian, do you have all the parts available over there at the 
Arcadian Vanguard Network to put out a variety of quality programming this week? Of course we do. We do each and every week. Of course, the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all of our shows on Twitter, at Super Podcasts, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. A big episode this week of Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, where their guest is Max Payne, a.k.a. Man Mountain Rock. Whoa! A man who was around wrestling for several years, trained in the New Japan Dojo, wrestled in WCW, wrestled in the WWE, and then disappeared. Find out where he is and find out what he thinks about his famous match, him and Cactus Jack versus the Nasty Boys, Spring Stampede 1994. Hear that today at BaldrinPod.com, or look for Breaking Kayfabe with Baldrin and Barry wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Will we find out where he disappeared to? Potentially, you may find out. Because he used to hang out with Jerry Pinnacoli. No, no, he did not, and let's not start that rumor, but what he did do was hang out and make a lot of music. You may find out where he's at musically if you listen to this show. Of course, Breaking Kayfib with Bowdrin and Barry. This week on Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon, his guest, continuing the conversation about the chic in Detroit wrestling, Supermouth Dave Drayson, a.k.a. Dave Brzezinski, the wine connoisseur of the cult of cornet. Hear that today at suawpod.com or search for Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! Ah, shit, my gerbil got away. Go through the archive today at 605pod.com. Search for the 605 Super Podcast wherever you find your favorite podcast, The Mothership. Uh, you and these fucking gerbils. <laughs> well, it's time, it's time for us to move on to AEW. But wait a minute, breaking news here. I have an update on what we were talking about earlier. Because I've gone to a, I saw a provocative headline. And I've gone to this website. The website is called immediatesafety.org. And there is a story uh, on this website. The headline, practice safe gerbling. Why duct tape is necessary. Duct tape? A, a duct tape. And, I, you know, I knew you could do anything with duct tape. But apparently, <laughs> as we made reference to just logically from common sense earlier in the program, it says here the issue of safety arises when you realize that these creatures have sharp parts that can cause intestinal trauma. And apparently the the uh suffer the illness that you suffer from when you insert all manner of things into your body bodily orifices is called polyembolocolomania or something like that. I think that's the annual big event they do in AAA. It possibly might be. Uh, but we, the, the guy writing this article spoke with several veterinarians who had performed declawing procedures, but very few who had done it on gerbils. One, in fact, screamed at us and called us seriously disturbed individuals for asking if they had declawed any gerbils. Uh, they did find one guy who said he'd do it. His name was Vladislav. And the sign outside his clinic read, Veterinarian, I cut your dog balls good. But anyway, 
Most of the non-sketchy doctors that were spoken with stated gerbils need their claws and teeth and removing them would be cruel and inhumane. So they were forced back to the drawing board and the best that they could come up with for making the practice safe was the use of cloth-based duct tape on the sharp parts of the gerbil. And duct tape is very difficult to get into gerbil mouths uh, so they opted to use a dab of pre-hardened silicone caulk. This, I mean, for, uh, forgive me, I don't know this world. I'm not fluent in this world, but this seems like a lot of work. Maybe just don't use a gerbil. Well, it also says at, at, down at the bottom, uh, it ends with the issue of retrieval. For the sake of the gerbil, use a leash. Not only will getting the little guy back go a lot more smoothly, it'll eliminate the need for an embarrassing trip to the ER because the doctors and nurses apparently treat those x-rays like six-year-old boys treat Pokemon cards. Forget about the ER. The ride to the ER must be brutal. Well, you'd have to ride like Terry Funk did on the planes when he broke his tailbone and had to sit on his knees. But that's immediatesafety.org. That, uh, that website. What did you search for that you ended up with immediatesafety.org? Uh, well, I just put gerbling and uh, below gerbling in Wikipedia. Actually, the top listing is gerbils on eBay. Seriously, we have everything. And then gerbling Wikipedia and then practice safe gerbling. Why duct tape is necessary. All right. And then Richard gear gerbil story, the definitive history and fact check. The definitive history. Definitive. It's definitive. <laughs> They've got all the all the details are in. This was as of November 2019. Ah, so some of the gerbil historians have been working on the story, updating it, and now this is the most revised version of it. Yes, the the they do say why the fuck is a gerbil always the rodent of choice? That's a, a question that they go into in this article. But nevertheless, you want to go back to the AEW or should we go farther in this? Uh, oh, well, there's zoophilia. No, I'd rather not go further into whatever this is. And or let's there's go. formicophilia, What's which that? involves not just gerbils, but other kinds of small critters. Generally, these things are living or the doctor explains, at least they were living when you put them in there. All right. Gold, goldfish are, uh, what goldfish are popular. Eels are pretty popular. More eels. often. Oh, uh, eels are pretty eels. popular, but what? women, goldfish are more popular with women and moondog main and moondog main. All right. Well, somehow I tied it back to wrestling and let's continue on that strain. All righty. I'm getting strained already. <laughs> So AEW was on television again, much to no one's surprise. They started this program on February 23rd, the Wednesday night, with a 10-team battle royal where both members of the team have to be eliminated, and the winner of this gets a tag team title match against Jungle Boy and Dino Douche, the most lackluster, disappointing world tag team champions in major promotion history. And... It, it, it ne never is it more obvious that the company AEW and the fans of AEW favor chaos over logic than when they know they're going to have a big lead in coming. For some reason, people watch the Big Bang Theory. They could be watching Always Sunny. 
or Seinfeld or Modern Family, but they watch The Big Bang Theory, a show about socially awkward nerds. Wonder why. But since they got the big lead in, they want to just start with chaos for the sake of chaos and continue that. Like you suddenly, the first time you ever drive, let's just get in the car, start it up, floor it, and see what happens. So they introduced the only introduction in this match was for the tag team champions to come out to the stage and stand there and watch it. And that's just so they could play the song that they got the rights to. Baltimore has never been so popular. But all the tag teams were just standing around the ring, and as soon as they ring the bell, everybody jumps in and fight. It's a 20-way to start this thing, and not a single team was introduced, and the announcers just had to mention them as they came to them. So they're going to try to keep the people with chaos, not quality. I decided to save some time and skip to the finish because the rest of it was going to be nonsense. Was I right in that assumption? I wouldn't say the rest of it. It was certainly busy and there was a lot going on. And at times guys standing back waiting for their moment to do something. But once you got down to the last few teams, few people, it got a little better. But for a while there, it was just a big mess. And I personally don't think matches like that are really appealing to a mass audience, especially when you start a show like that. That's, but that's just my opinion. Well, no, it's a lot of, it's all the opinions of the people that didn't watch the show because they started off like, hey, what the fuck's going on? Did we miss something? It's just crazy all of a sudden. Um, who's in this thing? Can we, maybe the people stuck to it that were trying to jot down all the participants since nobody told us. The last four, once we got down to that, I started watching. Kyle O'Reilly, Dax, Little Brutus, and Matt of the Hardly Boys. I will say, if you missed it, and this is no surprise, but when FTR and the Young Bucks squared off in that match, when they got to the point where they slowly walked towards each other so the fans had time to recognize what was happening, yeah, it was almost as if people wanted a rematch. No! But we never got it, but people still are intrigued by those two teams in the ring together. Well, don't worry. The the Hardly Boys will come up with enough excuses so at some point the people won't be wanting that match anymore, and then they'll have achieved their mission. Uh, but on those four, Fish got eliminated. Uh, or Fish got eliminated, but no, Fish was eliminated already. But then he came out and he eliminated Dax, even though he'd already been eliminated. And then O'Reilly and Matt Hardley teamed up on Little Brutus. But then O'Reilly suckered Matt because he was really, you know, playing possum on him or playing wolf in sheep's clothing or whatever. And so Fish and O'Reilly win the thing. But again, it's to set up. The Hardly Boys arguing with O'Reilly and Fish so that, you know, Adam Cole's conflicted. What's he's going to do? As they're arguing, Adam Page just comes out and jumps O'Reilly and Fish and beats them up while the Hardly Boys stand there. And then Cole comes in, but Page routes him too. And then they throw O'Reilly back in and he gets hit with a buckshot lariat by Page. So, okay, already. Fish and O'Reilly win this thing 
by cheating, but then any heat that they got was fairly well negated by getting a shit kicked out of them immediately afterwards. And then Page sits down in the middle of the ring and says, let's do story time with Adam Page, baby, to give Cole a taste of his own medicine. And as soon as he said, our tale begins in 2008, I'm like, oh my fucking God. I can't take 13 years of story time with Adam Page. But they went through, he went through the promo trying to their history. He's trying to get people interested in this match and nobody gives a shit for all the reasons that we've already discussed. Adam Cole comes in with a huge pop and is immediately diminished and immediately goes to job guys and immediately is inserted into the play wrestling. Whose friend are you? You know, oh, my friend, I'm so hurt. It's not major level betrayal amongst men and stabbing somebody in the back at the most, you know, at the biggest opportunity when they're about to win what they've dreamed for all their lives. It's who are you going to hang out with after school type of shit with these fucking morons. And Paige delivered a prepared dramatic statement about somehow he's going to bury Adam Cole in a grave six feet under. Few people went, ooh. Uh, this was... Uh, <sighs> Cole has no major wins. He's beaten job guys. He got beat by the mascot. He's challenging for the world title against a world champion that nobody views as a world champion, even himself. You can tell in his lack of confidence when he gets out there and recites this shit and suddenly it's like this whole offshoot of their promotion that is is, is the kids that have their dramatic issues with each other now is enveloping the world heavyweight champion in this company what'd you think about this whole pee picking mess i'll say a positive every time i watch dax hardwood in the ring i realize i wish more guys wrestled like dax hardwood you know, I'm not a fan of this giant mess of teams doing this stuff. I'm not a fan of so far the Adam Cole, Adam Page program that just popped up out of nowhere. And now it's the main event. We're supposed to care. I'm sure they'll have a fine match, but I don't right now care about either guy. You know, one of the big disappointments for me has been the fact that Kyle O'Reilly has kind of been slotted right back to where he was. He's yeah the young guy in that group that takes the beating. He'll sell the beating. I don't know. I kind of think that's the one thing NXT, although no one wanted to see the Undisputed Era broken up, the one thing they started getting right was the idea that Kyle O'Reilly could be a guy on his own. But now he's just right back to where he was uh, for good and for bad. Well, speaking for good and for bad, uh, Tony Shavani was in the back with Brian Danielson. That's good. He was talking about Daniel Garcia. That's bad. But then he mentions Moxley. I guess that's good. But then he's wrestling Daniel Garcia on this program. That's really bad. We'll get to that in a little while. I said on that the match of the week between Raw, NXT, and Dynamite was Champa and Ziggler, right? That was the best match of the three programs. The best interview, the best segment was on AEW and came up next. Imagine that. And imagine this. It involved MJF and CM Punk. But mostly MJF. 
And I've seen a lot of people are talking about this on Twitter and they're raving about it, et cetera, et cetera. But this, it's an example of, it, it, Miz wouldn't have done this because Miz couldn't do this because it would have required him being somewhat real. And Miz just is the celebrity type. But MJF now finally, he didn't even break character. He didn't get away from his gimmick. It actually more explained his gimmick of why he's an insufferable prick. Because he was mentally mistreated in his past or whatever. And he's got a specific grudge against Punk because of not anything Punk really did to him, but because of what he believes Punk did. And the the whole thing, he he ended up, and, and I think I know, obviously, I don't know for sure, but I think I know where this is going, and it's even better, that some people said, well, MJF, he, he switched babyface, and he showed us he wasn't really that mean of a guy. Right then and there he may have, but I don't know if it's going to happen over the long term. But he told the story about the picture of him meeting CM Punk when he was 11. He had ADD and school was hell, but he was good at football. He was one of the only two Jewish kids to, you know, go out for the football team. Are any Jews in the house? Were you in the house, Brian? I was not in the house, but I was watching live, obviously. Well, there you go. He started as middle linebacker and his teammates threw quarters at him as hard as he could because he was Jew. Is that a thing that people do? I can't speak specifically to that, but I will say, despite people recognizing that there are a lot of Jewish people on Long Island, we still do deal with anti-Semitism, and some of what he dealt with, according to this promo, this heel origin story, are very similar things to what a lot of us, despite growing up in either Jewish communities or communities that have a large Jewish population, or just outright large Jewish communities, you still deal with this, even on Long Island. But I, I don't get the idea of throwing money at somebody that you don't like. It's like an Arena Mexico thing, right? Well, you had a great match. We're going to throw the money. I would have been I would have been there with the catcher's mitt catching the money going, fuck you guys, throw some more. Well, usually bigots aren't smart. <laughs> well, I know what he's doing. Anyway, but nevertheless, um, the point is he was, he was, uh, had a tough time in school. He found something he was good at, football, but his teammates didn't accept him. He cried all day, but he'd get to meet his hero that night, and that meant everything to him, and he promised himself he was going to be the best wrestler in the world, and he wanted to be like CM Punk, and he found out it was just another Friday for CM Punk, but it meant a lot to him, and then in January 2014, Punk left him when he needed him most. It was your fault, you no good bastard. So anyway, uh, MJF went to college, but he quit to become the best wrestler in the world, and he's not going to quit like punk at revolution because I'm better than you and you know it. But he laid this whole thing out and you got to see it. And the emotion and he was quivering and he was kind of tearing up a little bit. And it's uh, obviously, I don't, I don't, I don't know if, you know, he made tons of money getting money thrown at him, but there was a lot of real in this and he was drawing on you know, some of that and that emotion and it, and people started kind of getting with him a little bit as far as, you know, just feeling sorry for him. And all of a sudden when he's done, here comes punk, no music, 
just coming out with a concerned look on his face. And Tony Schiavone, he's trying to help, but did you hear him say, I've got five kids. ADD is no joke. Fuck, he's got five kids. Fucking sexual addiction may be no joke either, Tony, for heaven's sake. As Arn Anderson said, you got enough cum in you, Shivani, to shampoo a buffalo. But anyway, Punk comes in the ring with no microphone and just looking at MJF and says, is that true? Is that real? And MJF walked off on him. And Punk's sitting there going, maybe, you know, is this guy for real? It creates questions. It was fucking good. And now it's more intriguing. Now does Punk believe that maybe he had something to do with making this guy act this way toward him, whatever? Was it me? And, of course, I can see. I don't think I'm ruining anybody. No spoiler here. The best way for MJ, and, of course, what I predict may not necessarily happen because I can just see it making the most sense, but MJF at some point when he beats Punk, which he probably will, then he revealed, yeah, you fucking idiot, you fell for that whole fucking line of shit. I I was the one running the goddamn football locker room when I was in college. Fuck you, or whatever. But I, I like this, and it was different, and it wasn't the same shit we see over and over again, and MJF did a great job. What'd you think? I thought it was one of the greatest promos I've ever seen on wrestling. It was one of the most unique promos I've ever seen on wrestling. You have a guy that the fans love booing, not in the Cody way, but in the right way, and he was able to get them to shut up and listen and start believing him and going with him. He did have tears. This fucking guy was able to make himself (laughs) cry in the middle of this. And like you said, a lot of this was probably based on reality. I believe that just, you know, based on how I grew up on Long Island. But this was an incredibly strong promo. This did a great job of laying out, like I said before, the heel origin story, but where exactly this comes from with MJF and Punk. And I'm going to say it again, because I've been saying it for a while, but it's noticeable that for the last several months, the one segment that is almost always must-see on AEW TV has been anything with CM Punk or MJF and this feud in this program. Yeah. It's been months now. You know, not everything's what you would do and not everything's what I would do, but they're not messing up. They're telling the worst, the story. The worst thing that we said one week, we said it started going a little long. It was good, but it was a little long. That's the worst thing that we could say. They're telling a story. They haven't rushed anything. They haven't done anything egregious or stupid. They haven't done anything to take away your ability to suspend disbelief. This, I I would actually argue this may be the single greatest feud in the history of AEW. Just right now. Just based on the logic and the fact that it's connecting with fans. The dog collar match is going to be a big test, but I'm sad this feud's going to have to end at some point because... The only thing that'll make it better is if each guy now goes to have another feud and those two segments become the good segments on the show. But this has been one of the greatest feuds in modern wrestling. This has easily, I think, been the best feud in AEW. Not feud amongst the executives, but actual feud on camera. (laughs) I think MJF has to win the dog collar, and I think they come up with a third match that... If if not Punk's specialty, I don't know whether guys even have specialty matches anymore, but something that Punk 
deserves to get based on what happens in the dog collar. And then Punk can get his fucking win, but MJF has already beat him twice, first two times in a row, and has been elevated and somewhat of a moral victory, you might say. So yes, Punk would win in the end, but it wouldn't be like, it wouldn't be the Jericho one more match kid. It would be okay. I, I put you over and I put you over again and now I'll get it, but you're more established. I think that, you know, that hopefully they're looking towards something like that. And this whole feud has done nothing but establish MJF in ways that that Jericho feud completely missed the mark. You want to talk about Punk here? Punk was great. Like you said, no microphone. Hit yeah. the ring. You look at his face. His face told the whole story. You could have watched that scene on mute. You would have known what was going on. You can't wait to see what's going to happen next. This has been the best. This has been the best thing they have there. And the only question I would have for you is, and someone's going to tell me I'm wrong, but I don't. I'm trying to think back in my head. I know he lost to Jericho, but that wasn't a pinfall. Do you give MJF his first ever pinfall loss at AEW to CM Punk? I well, I think he would uh, at the point that Punk has earned it, which he if he puts him over one more time, he has. But see, it, it, the conventional wisdom or rule of thumb or maybe even you know just feeling like it's fair would be okay if they're going to go three matches well mjf won the first one in chicago punk wins the second but mjf gets heat and then they have a third i don't like that set up because if punk wins the second especially in his own stipulation then it kind of kind of puts a period on it we're okay, MJF got the fluke, but now I've established I'm better. If MJF wins again in the stipulation that Punk came up with, whether fair means or foul, then it's like, wait a minute, shit. We didn't think it was going to go this way. Why should there be a third match? MJF's already beat him twice. That's what he's saying. But there would be extenuating circumstances to where Punk would deserve and receive a rematch, and then Punk could get his win back. I can see that as having a little bit more impact than, okay, I'll take first when you take second one, and then we'll have the rubber match. The other intriguing thing is, going under the assumption this feud eventually will have to come to an end, and it seems like they've been teasing the MJF Wardlow thing. They're either going to pull that now, or they may wait a little longer. We're not even sure. But that's a possibility for MJF. What do you think they do with Punk next? Uh, hopefully anything punk wants to do. Cause so far it, I would have bet that he's been picking most of this and he's done a good job. I hope we don't see MJF versus Wardlow in any kind of series of things. I think MJF needs to introduce another stooge beholden to him to fight Wardlow to get Wardlow over. Because if they went straight from Wardlow turning babyface to Wardlow versus MJF, you're either going to beat Wardlow, that's too soon, or you're going to beat MJF, and that shouldn't be done except rarely. Uh, so there's going to be a little issue there with what the fuck goes on. With Punk, I mean, I, don't, I can't predict because they just, like with Adam Cole and Adam Page, just pick shit out of the blue, except with Punk having more control. That is interesting because he's, he's worked with a variety of guys. I don't know. Who would be good to be next? I don't know. Well, maybe we'll find out. 
Hopefully it won't be Daniel Garcia again. Because the next match or next interview on this program was now the rebuttal from Daniel Garcia and 2.0 about Brian Danielson. But they're still heels. They're screaming and screeching and 2.0 is doing all the talking. So it's a heel versus heel situation. And Daniel Garcia looks the least intimidating of the three of them between the other two 2.0 guys. They're tanned. They've got aggression. They're yelling. They're over the top. He's standing there kind of mope-faced. Him and Dante Martin, they could call them the black holes of charisma. And speaking of black holes, the Knights of the Kings of the Black Throne of the Justice League or whatever we're up next in a match against Pack and Penta. <laughs> He's changed his name for this one. Penthouse was not Penta L0 to 60 in five seconds or whatever his name is. It was Penta Obscuro. He is a very obscure fellow. This match, the spooky monster cult heels with their spooky light off, light on, or as JR said, wax on, wax off. That gimmick against the heel bastard pack and penthouse, who if he ain't a heel, he just likes hanging out behind a tombstone with a shovel, accompanied by Alex Abrahantes in white face paint dressed like a druid with a long robe. I saw this match on Svenguli last week. No, you didn't. That was, I watched Svenguli last week. That was Attack of the Puppet People. Was that it? Something like that. The, it, I wrote, okay, this might be a clusterfuck. Again, <laughs> a jump start, a four way. All of them go to the floor. Penthouse does a dive in the first 30 seconds. Then they ring the bell to start the match. The first move of the match. Pack hits his 450 splash off the top on one of them. One, two, he kicks out. And then they settle it down two in, two out, and start a tag team match and kicking and stomping. It's, it's literally like watching a movie in reverse. You see the finish, you see the middle, then you see them start by shaking hands and meeting for the first time in a parking lot somewhere. Who are the heels? Both teams are doing the same shit. Brody King, the more I see of him, ooh, Indy to the bone. He did a head palm shoot off. He got in the ring within 30 seconds of him getting in the ring. He did a head palm shoot off. He turns his back on guys and runs to the ropes like all the rest of the Chikara pajama wearing crowd. It's just, it's, this is so gimmicked. This whole thing was so gimmicked. They went to a break. They came back, but I didn't. I remind everybody FTR was in a meaningless battle royal. Mark and Jay Briscoe are unsigned, but we were watching these four on national television. So I got to the finish. Malachi Black goes to spray the mist, but Penthouse puts his hand over his mouth so that Malachi chokes on his mist and Penthouse rolls him up one, two, three. And then... They're, they're trying to get heat afterwards. 
Brody King and Malachi Black, they're trying to get heat afterwards, but it was horrible. Nothing was happening. The fans weren't caring. It was moving at a glacial pace. And then finally, was I believe, was it Malachi Black that got the shovel and had Penthouse laid out and they were getting ready to chop Penthouse's head off with a shovel. When the lights went out and they come back on and everybody screams, it's Buddy Matthews. And many people across the country in unison said, who the fuck is Buddy Matthews? Buddy Matthews apparently uh, has just been released. Another underneath talent that was released by the WWE who did not use that name, right? He was Murphy. Murphy. He was Buddy Murphy, and then Vince decided he hated first names again, and he just became Murphy. Murphy. Well, and they made the cryptic references. Well, these fans know who he is and where he's been, and he's got history with somebody or other. I don't fucking know. He stood there forever. Malachi Black looked at him like he'd seen a ghost. He's scared. He's down on his ass in the ring. He's so scared of Buddy Murphy or Buddy Matthews or my little dog, Buddy. And wasn't that a... Buddy was a sidekick of some woman in a Truman Capote novel that I used to... Our neighbor Dot used to read it to me when I was just a little little bitty wee fellow. Which one was that? New Wave Hookers or Cafe Flush? No, quit now. Truman Capote had nothing to do with New Wave Hookers. He was old school all the way. But anyway, so Buddy, then Malachi Black is scared of Buddy, but Buddy starts kicking the shit out of Penthouse. And then Malachi's happy. Now he's joined them. Now we got another another person in this fucking group. So it's two WWF rejects and a fucking guy from the Indies with tattoos all over him. Now security starts running down the ramp one at a time slowly so that Burger King, I mean Brody King, can be out on the floor and beat them up. And then they start throwing chairs into the ring slowly with no urgency of anything. Buddy just stomps Penthouse's face into the chair and everybody stands there again. And then the lights go out. And they're out for a while. And you can tell that the announcers, JR lays out in a lot of these after making fun of lights on, lights off. The lights are out for so long, I could have driven a goddamn Volkswagen Beetle out of ringside and into the parking lot. But the lights come back on and everybody's shocked that the heels are gone or one set of heels. Because the lights were out for 30 seconds, they probably just fucking walked out. This may have been the worst match and angle combination that they have ever done on this television program just in terms of just shits and it took them so long they went over time they went to the break at the top of the hour they were on the announcers and then went to break at nine o'clock eastern because this fucking dreck took so long what did you think of this fiasco so far i agree with you about brody king malachi black's the kind of guy i would I want to say I like it because he still does some weird things, but I would probably enjoy a good competitive match with him against someone. But I'm convinced now that every single he- idea he has about his character, 
is terrible. And some of his friends need to have the guts to tell him this shit's really bad. Yeah. The lights out, lights on thing is so lame by this point. This time it became almost a parody of itself. You say it was out for 30 seconds. If it was 30 seconds because it was on TV, it felt like two minutes. Yeah. It felt really long where for no reason, the lights are out. The Buddy Murphy thing, Buddy Matthews, first of all, hello wellness program. That guy is fucking jacked. (laughs) Second of all, the guy's been used like a jerk off in WWE. He showed up here. The place popped for him because they do every time an ex-WWE guy shows up, as long as it's not like someone they are predisposed to hate. They pop for him. I don't know what his history is with Malachi. I don't know if it's in WWE or NXT or the Indies. I have no idea. That wasn't explained other than Malachi was hamming it up for a moment. But boy, this is uninspiring and and really not good. I have not liked Malachi Black and his team, and I don't like anything about his fucking bootleg wannabe Undertaker shit. And then there's Penta. All of a sudden, Alex is a druid. <laughs> and Penta has become alms, alms for the poor. He's swinging the thing, send out your dead, bring out your dead. And Penta was already like an evil skeleton man. Now all of a sudden he's more evil. I don't know what this was. And then he got his ass kicked. So it didn't even matter to begin with. He came out from behind a tombstone. And by the end of the match, he was buried. There's a reason why this episode, because I saw this yesterday on social media. There's a reason why this episode lost viewers each segment throughout the whole show. And this segment was especially bad. And I know there are some people that like Malachi. And again, in the ring, he's a talented guy. But all this other shit, I don't even know if it gets on Raw. This is NXT kind of stuff more than even Raw, but it's terrible. And I don't like it. Uh, and, and, and there are other uh, people there who feel the same way, by the way. He's not, well, mm-hmm. I'll just say his stuff isn't universally loved. Find, find the ratings. We'll talk about those at the end of the thing, because we still have a ways to drop. The next segment, right after they just beat up six security guys, right, that ran down the ramp one at a time for old Brody King to beat them up, they come back and they've got four security guys in the ring to keep order between Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho. So... Wouldn't you think that if they were going to do that, maybe they would put the beating up of the security guards right maybe after they're supposed to be seen trying to keep order amongst the main event guys? I don't know. But the the, the jury is out now, or not jury is out, the jury is in. The question has been answered, Jericho switch and heel. Either that or he's crazy. He's the one that, asked for the security uh, to be in there because he wanted to talk to Kingston man-to-man. Everything that Jericho did talking about Kingston here was phrased in the way that you, you would phrase it if you were trying to make him the babyface and you were trying to switch heel and get the people to start hopping on you without you actually insulting the fans or making them do it on purpose. and. They basically shot this with this thing. Kingston is his story is that Jericho's a leech and you know sucks up to everybody thinks can get him over and blah 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 and Jericho thinks that Kingston is a jobber looking outlaw mud show fuck 
that he had never heard of. And, you know, but then he found out that he was good, but, you know, and Jericho's got to use a lot of phrase, the baby, <laughs> he said, Kingston could be a huge baby face. And Kingston said, what's a baby face? At least Eddie's trying. So finally, Jericho condescendingly puts Kingston over and the, but then tells him, I didn't give two shits about you or your sob story. And that Kingston is jealous of his success because deep down, Kingston knows he can't be at Jericho's level. And Kingston jumped back on him and said, unlike him, he doesn't bury people to promoters or leech off of others. And Kingston has that, he's got that Jimmy Valiant quality that when he says shit that doesn't make any sense, when you think about it, it still sounds good because he's saying it. And he, it sounds like he's just coming up with this shit off top of his head and he wanted to fight Jericho. And Jericho, again, said Kingston's scared of success. His uncle was a failure. His father was a failure. Kingston can't win the big one. And then Jericho agrees to a match with Kingston at Revolution. Actually, two matches on May 6th and then March 6th. He corrected himself. And if Kingston wins, then Jericho will shake his hand and respect him. And this is where I liked Jericho even did a good job at this, especially if he's turning heel and not just being a wise ass. And Kingston was good. They made a mistake at the end that I thought could have been easily corrected, but it may have been because of Jericho's outsized ego or thinking that he's the star, star and the straw that stirs the drink. But when Kingston said, don't give me the mimosa match, Chris Jericho, don't give me the, you know, the, the foolish Chris Jericho, give me the Chris Jericho that did this and did that, that bled buckets in Tennessee. So Eddie's a fan of the, Night of Legends, still available at jimcornette.com, but they're soon to be sold out. And he basically said, give me the real Chris Jericho that we all came to respect and not this one, or I will, he leaned over and said, or I'll eat you alive. And that should have been the out. That should have been the last line. They should have hit the music and had a stare down and the announcers pitch out. But Jericho had to blister him back and get the last word and call for his own music. And again, a lesser name, you know, if they're trying to get Eddie up, then he should have had the last word over the bigger name, a lesser name. It, it 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 has a subliminal difference when they're told off by a star and that's the last word rather than when the guy that, okay, he's the lesser name, but he may be the guy we want to go with in the future. So we're trying to get him up. He needs the last word. Does that make sense? I think it makes perfect sense. Yes. Well, it didn't to Jericho. Well, Jericho does things his own way. And then he likes to give people advice. Like he's all knowing, you know, this dichotomy is so interesting because you have someone who is as real as they get versus someone who's the exact opposite. Whether you like Jericho or not, he's the consummate sports entertainer. The way he stands there, the way he moves his body when he talks, what he says, there's nothing genuine about any of that. Trademark. Uh, every week, let's trademark a new gimmick. Just stay ahead of it in case I need to change something to stay hip. And there's nothing about that that really seems genuine, yet Eddie Kingston just reeks of nothing but being genuine, even if he isn't. 
I don't know. I I know Eddie. He reeks of a few other things if you get close enough. The fans were clearly on Eddie's side. I think Jericho is the heel here, whether he officially turns or not. Time will tell. I will say, and I noticed this last week during the match, I think it was a tag match with Santana and Ortiz, Jericho appears to have finally gotten into a little bit of better shape. Yeah. It only took three years of all that Tony Khan money, and now he's finally going to treat it seriously. I think it took a lot of browbeating from people other than us on social media, and he's started to do something about it. Maybe, but I'll go back to what I've been saying for months and months and months. They have something with Eddie Kingston. And they haven't done much to capture that momentum and really go with it. I don't know where you go with it because he's not a classic worker. He's a classic personality. And I hope they don't, well, I hope Jericho doesn't ruin this, doesn't ruin him like he's done to so many <laughs> other people. But I got a lot of faith in Eddie Kingston right now because of the connection with the fans. It's undeniable. And they love him and they want to love him more and they want a reason to love him. Let him win something once in a while, for fuck's sake. Gets the biggest pop almost every time he comes out. It's every show. It's every building they go to. There's a reason for that. Ride it. And and here's another thing. A lot of people, especially people who have a vested interest in possibly keeping that underdog down, will say, oh, well, the underdog shouldn't succeed because he's an underdog. Well... People get tired of cheering for underdogs that never win. He, underdog, at the end of the show, he saved Sweet Polly Purebred some way or another. Speaking of dogs, we had a dog of an interview <laughs> segment coming up next. When job guys in this world appear and break the laws that they should fear. Now, uh, Matt Hardy... Andre Oleolio, private party in the stairway again. Matt Hardy is this international yacht broker from Toulon, France, signing all this major talent up to the Hardy family office, now the Andre Hardy family office, and he can't even afford a fucking office. His office is a goddamn stairwell, not even a nice stairway, but an emergency exit. Then they had another ladder match qualifier. Of course, the ladder match between six fucking people. Six people. Three of them being Powerhouse Hobbs, Keith Lee, and a goddamn, uh, help me. Powerhouse Hobbs, Keith Lee, and Wardlow. And Wardlow, thank you. Three of the biggest non-ladder climbing guys in the company. And now Ricky Starks is in a match against 10 to determine that Starks is going to be in the ladder match also. Now, the first guy that you would actually want to see climb a ladder is going to be in the match. But again, now we got to see 10 every show. This guy, he's big. He's got a good-looking body. And he's been in that goofy gimmick and that goofy group for so long. Does anybody remember what he really looks like under the mask? Couldn't they have, if they want to use the guy, couldn't they have washed his Sharpie marks off his chest and taken the mask off and put him in different tights and then nobody would know that he's a job guy goof in a comedy group? They could start pushing him as somebody else and he might be taken seriously. But no, now we've got to see the same guy do jobs on every television show because when Tony gets fascinated with booking somebody, he's going to put him on every fucking show. And beat him on every show. 
We'll get to the main event in a minute. So Ricky Starks is in the ladder match. Surprise, surprise. And then back again in the in the back, the Hardly Boys and Fish and O'Reilly and Adam Cole are doing a fake argument about their lovers' quarrel. And then the TBS title is on the line. I know I'm not giving you a chance to jump in here, Brian. I'm going to let you have, reserve all your comments on what I'm talking about for when I get it out finished with. TBS title, Jane Cargill versus The Bunny. And... No, I didn't watch this match, but Jane won. And then Ty Conti came out and got in Jane Cargill's face. But then the bunny, who just got the shit kicked out of her by Jane Cargill, jumped on Ty Conti and they had a fake fight. And then Jane Cargill knocked out Ty Conti. And the other girl, what's her face, came in with a chair. But not to make a save, it just looked like she was bringing it to her grandmother that needed to sit down because she was moving at a snail's pace with no urgency to make a save for her friend. That right there, Starks and Tin, the the Hardy in the stairway, the Hardleys in the back, and Jane Cargill versus the Bunny, that was better than 30 minutes of national TV time devoted to what I just mentioned. Tony puts way too much stuff on that show and gives them way too much time, including multiple commercial breaks, for stuff and people that don't belong on national TV. And this, well, Jade's a star in terms of appearance, but what was this? What was the post-match where the bunny all of a sudden helps her? I don't know. And then with the Matt Hardy thing, he's not going to go away now. We'll talk about it on the drive-thru with Jeff Hardy coming in. We're going to be seeing more Matt Hardy. And maybe that's one of the reasons why Tony's keeping him around and so featured on so many things for no good reason. But won't they let him out of the stairway? Can't they at least get him an escalator? An elevator? A, a bucket lift? One of those things the electric company uses. Why does he just have to be in the in anyway? So Officer Bar- Brady is back on the program. He shows up every once in a while. Otherwise, it's poor Tony Schiavone having to run back and forth. Tony's lost 30 pounds since he's worked for AEW. They got him everywhere. Officer Bar Brady is in the back with Keith Lee. Okay. Keith Lee made an incredible debut, had a wonderful match, got over like a million dollars. And then the following week, as I recall, he had a pre-taped interview. Wasn't long, wasn't much. Kind of still talking like Frazier Crane, but at least he had a few comments to make he's only been there for two weeks they've got him in the back bar brady asks him a question he says five words and here comes hobbs and starks in and they tell him off and they starks in no uncertain terms says he's going to beat him and he's going to be in the ladder match and ain't nothing you can do about it and hobbs will fuck you up too <laughs> hobbs looks at him nasty and and then they walked off. The brand new babyface star that's been in the company for two weeks got five words, then was told off to his face by the heels and not only did nothing about it, but said nothing about it. He's a dickless piece of shit. You wouldn't have been able to pay a baby face in the territory days, $5,000. He figured he was a main event guy. 
to come in, win one match, get a pre-taped interview the next week, and then be interrupted and told off by the fucking heels where you got to stand there with your dick in your hand and take it, do nothing, say nothing. That's not the way you get a baby face over. If Keith Lee had been winning matches and cutting promos about how big he was and how bad he was, what he was going to do, and showing the people he was capable of doing that, and then this happened, you might have something. Two weeks in. they. I did like Starks making fun of his voice. That was funny. Well, yeah, he might as well have made fun of his goddamn small dick and his shriveled up balls and his fucking bank account and his shitty old car. And then slap him in the face and while he's down there pissing his mouth. Is everybody in today's modern society so gutless that they just allow people to just fucking talk to them like that and think nothing of it? And to where that you can't even see that a goddamn major player in the wrestling business, a giant fucking beast like that, a top baby face, you don't treat them like that. You don't talk to them like that when they first come in the company before they've ever even had a chance to get over. But speaking of wit, any closing thoughts on that piece of business? No, we got to see the one match and then the package on Rampage and then this promo, which I'm going to guess may have been taped in advance if he's still not wrestling. I don't know if he uh, wrestled on Rampage, but I'd like to see more Keith Lee now that he's there. And hey, Keith Lee versus Starks. I'd like to see that, especially if they have a little bit of a history working together. Keith Lee and Powerhouse Hobbs, we've talked about it. That's a natural thing to build to. And we got the little face to face and you heard the fans react to that. Oh, the they're, they're building to it. All right. On in the ladder match with five other guys or four other guys, they get a chance to fucking take the, the mystique off what will happen if they ever do get together, because they'll do just enough in that match to see that we didn't really want to see it as bad as we thought we did. Hey, listen, other than punk MJF, nothing goes in a traditional logical way. Most AEW things, someone debuts, all of a sudden, they're doing something the next week, and it's kind of this. We get to see him once, and all of a sudden, he's doing this, and they're not really building him up the way you would traditionally do it. That's There's more of that in AEW than the MJF Punk segments. Well, speaking of what's in AEW in every segment, Daniel Garcia. We can't do a program without Danny against Brian Danielson. So we'll talk about the ratings in a second. This was the TV main event, and here's the th- we start out. We start out with a 10-team, 20-man battle royal. Then we go to MJF and CM Punk. And by the time we get to the last half hour or 45 minutes of this fucking show, we've got Starks against 10, Cargill against the Bunny, Keith Lee being emasculated, and Brian Danielson against Daniel Garcia. And not only is Danielson versus Garcia not exactly an attractive marquee match, since Garcia has been on every fucking AEW program for the last three months and is yet to win, ever. But also, <laughs> they've done this backwards. They started with the with the main events and took us all the way to the preliminaries. Why would anybody stay to watch this? They built the story in that Danielson's trying to get Moxley to join him in some violence course. And he's trying to dare Daniel Garcia to be violent. Brian Danielson's a heel. 
Daniel Garcia is a heel. Daniel Garcia's friends are heels. Why, why do we care to watch this fucking match? The only people this is going to hook are the people that just want to see Brian Danielson work. Me being one of them, but obviously not the, the entire world is not enamored of watching Brian Danielson perform his art on job guys. And they advertise this as the main event. And Danielson, again, he's effortless, puts on a clinic. Daniel Garcia is a good wrestler. He's good with mat wrestling. He needs to fill out weight-wise. He needs some facials. He needs some personality and some charisma. Maybe some will come out when he gets older. Because what did we hear? He's 22 years old or whatever. I don't. It, 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 but right now, no. Bleh. Not to be seen constantly like this. They went through a break. And the people in the building, the AEW fans, were on their asses. It's not a TV main event. It's an opportunity to see Brian Danielson in tights. And meanwhile, excrement is trying as hard as he can, doing nothing else but talking Daniel Garcia over. Because he's not smart enough to realize the way you get Daniel Garcia over in this environment is talk about how instead of Daniel Garcia surprise everybody, Daniel Garcia could score an upset. No, he's not going to. You get him over by saying, Daniel Garcia got to be in over his head in this one, but boy, he's putting on a surprising performance, but you know that there's no way that Garcia at his level of expertise or his level of experience is going to be able to, oh shit, but he's giving it all he's got. You don't just start saying Daniel Garcia could very well upset Brian Danielson here. Danielson's still the best wrestler in the company. Talk like you know it. And Danielson gave him a lot, but never really lost complete control and finally stomped him and triangled him with the legs and hit the double bicep and got a tap out. And that was fine. But then again, they have some ideas, but they don't know how to pick the people to perform the ideas. Danielson asked the fans if Daniel Garcia was violent enough. And boom, so there was two heels having a match. Bad. They like Danielson because he's great. But then 2.0 jump Danielson from behind and start kicking the shit out of him. Jobber heels on a top guy kicking the shit out of him. So Moxley can come in from the back door to his music and shit can the heels out of the ring and then have a face-to-face with Danielson. And right then my DVR froze because they were so close to going off the air because they can't time their shit. It would have been a nice angle. If they had credible heels in there to do even mid card heels that have won some and lost some, but was a recognized name at least, instead of the guys that for some reason, because they have pictures of Tony Khan and a Dalmatian, they've been on every TV program for the last however many months doing jobs. So this. <laughs> This show started in the penthouse and finished firmly in the outhouse. What were your thoughts? Like Danielson, I think he's doing great work, but obviously I wasn't too high on this lakes. I did watch the show live and I was a little tired by this point. And now here <laughs> Danielson and Garcia, who unfortunately at this point, I'm not caring too much about. He's one of these guys like there was an OVW or something like that for. Yeah. Or your OVW, not modern OVW. There was a Jim Cornette's OVW, 
and you had the Daniel Garcias and the Dante Martins and these guys that can work with each other in that environment and learn, it would be one thing. But instead, Daniel Garcia arrived. I thought showed a lot of potential. I like the way he works. I even like his look. But we've seen him on TV. Like you just said, he never wins a match. He's aligned with 2.0, who, although they show some charisma, never win a match. Never win a match. <laughs> so Somebody's they're going to say, but they won on YouTube. And who watched? I didn't. So the same I, people that's already watching the TV program, just not as many of them. Moxley having to have his music played so he could randomly show up with a security guard to walk through the fans. <laughs> Where was he? Was he getting a hot dog? Was he hidden the head? Where was he? Where was John he, Moxley that he was He prepared? was waiting just for the exact moment when he figured that, that Danielson needed him the most. What a friend. Not really feeling the Danielson Moxley stuff. And uh, that's really all I have to say about this. I didn't like the way the show ended. I thought, the show was, the- I thought the show was downhill after the MJF segment. Naturally, it's one of the all-time yeah. great segments, but there was also a lot of bad shit on this show. Although, best Chris Jericho segment in a long time. A lot, yeah. of, that's, a lot of that's due to Kingston, but I also think Jericho stepped it up a little bit. But I also, agree with that. Also, a lot of really bad shit on the show. That, that pack match may be the all- No, I say pack match. Pack and Bizarro Penta with Druid Alex versus the <laughs> Guardians of the Night of Black with their friend Buddy, that's an all-time <laughs> bad thing if you really think about it. But other than that, not a great show. Uh, it fell off a cliff after Jericho, I'll tell you that. So what were the ratings on this thing? Where'd they start and where'd they finish up? Well, let me get this. The overall ratings for the show, 1.10 million viewers. No, not 1.10 oh, million. Excuse me, 1,010,000 viewers. <laughs> excuse me, I'm looking at this weird way this person laid it out, but let me go to another one here and let me give this person credit. Brandon Thurston on Twitter, at Brandon Thurston, did a breakdown of the quarter hours, and this is pretty handy here. So the show started with 1,088,000 for the Tag Team Battle Royal. Segment two went down to 1,048,000. This was the continuation of the Tag Team Battle Royal, the Adam Page Live promo, and Danielson's promo in the back, as well as an ad break. Segment three, 1,038,000 viewers. This is MJF's live promo, as well as the Daniel Garcia promo and tag team match entrances, the tag team match being segment four, where one so, million... So they, they, were, uh, they were within 50,000 people. From the start through MJF and Punk and the start of that offensive tag team match. The debut of Buddy Murphy segment drew 1,010,000 viewers, which ended up being the overall average for the night. Segment five, the first segment of hour two, which is Britt Baker, Thunder Rosa video, an ad break, and then Jericho and Kingston's live promo, 997,000 viewers. Segment Six, which is three more minutes of Jericho Kingston, Andrade Hardy private party promo, and then Ricky Starks versus 10, as well as the Fish O'Reilly Bucks promo and the Jay Cargo entrance. That's a lot. 986,000 viewers. Good Lord, they kept more than I thought they would have for all that variety of hoopla. Well, segment seven, which was Jay Cargo versus the Bunny. 
with the Ty Conti angle and the Keith Lee promo, as well as another ad break and a picture-in-picture here, 969,000 viewers. And finally, segment eight, Brian Danielson versus Daniel Garcia, which included a picture-in-picture. That did 942,000 viewers. Okay, I am amazed, actually. They went through that whole show and only lost, what, 140,000 people from start to finish because the last, especially hour of this pro, I mean, what Danielson wasn't rotten in his match with Garcia. It's just a rotten match to put in a TV main event, but the rest of that stuff, these people are durable. The AEW fans, they're durable. They're a hardy breed. They'll sit and watch anything. If you were shoving, toothpicks underneath their fingernails and toenails, they might not change the channel because that's the only thing I can think of. It'd be more painful than watching the last part of this program. So just to lose 140,000, that ain't bad. I guess the question will be, where do they start next week? Because as we've seen the week before, sometimes leads to what happens the next time. Yeah. and, And I've always said that if you get a bad rating on a show from the start, it's because you had a shitty show the last week. If you start good and then the final rating of the last part of the show sucks, but you started good, that means you did a crummy show this week. And what? this this week's show is the go-home show, the one that's coming up, correct? Well, I wish they'd all go home, but yes, it is before <laughs> the big pay-per-view. I just, I wonder what our ratings were today. Did we start big and... After the gerbil talk, there wasn't really anything to keep the people, was there? Well, actually, uh, statistically speaking, without giving any specifics, we do better than like almost any show out there in terms of audience retention throughout the entirety of the show, because we could track that. And we've been told the numbers are extraordinary for our ability to retain an audience. Yes. And you know what? Whether it's water retention (laughs) or weight retention or any kind, we're always good with retention. Will we retain these people next week, Brian? I guess I shouldn't ask you that question. I ought to ask the listeners out there. Will we retain you next week after this wonderful program we've done this week? No, you won't. Uh, (laughs) My gerbil got out again. Yes, this is time. Yes, this is a good time to go chase that gerbil down and and, uh, sign off for this week until the drive-thru. Your program coming up in a few days. Uh, visit jimcornett.com, folks. Listen to the mothership. And uh, we will be back next week with this program with even more hijinks and hilarity. Right, Brian? Right. Right. Until then, everybody, thank you, fuck you, and to my dear departed gerbil, bye-bye. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo My mom's basement. I steal her Wi-Fi and I pay no rent. AEW's cool. We've got it.
I'm in 